Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 137th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that can't join our guild until Kaya gets down to business. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. Before we get started, one quick message from our sponsor, Face to Face Games. Face2FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed product with shipping to the U.S. or Canada. Check out Face2Face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTGCritic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everybody, good to be here while Travis is uh, gallivanting around Southern California, enjoying, uh, I can't imagine like visiting California and then going back to a New York winter. That sounds like a curse. Not even New York, Buffalo. Well, I mean, New York in the wintertime, upstate New York is lovely until, you know, what, October, September, sometime in there. Anyway, enjoy the snow after San Diego. I'm sure that's going to be fun. Uh, Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some value information with all of you. This show, as always, is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, what's on the agenda this week while Travis is out of town gallivanting around California? Oh, we've got four delightful segments. We're going to talk about the top movers. There's some really funny cards on that list this week. We've each got some picks of the week and some healthy disagreement about where they're going to go. We've got a little bit of tournament results to discuss, and then we've got a special guest. Mr. Todd Stevens is going to be joining us to talk about Guilds of Ravnica, what he likes and doesn't like of the new set and what it means financially. Very exciting. Can't wait to have him back on the show. Uh, For now, let's get on to our top movers and uh, see what's going on over in the movers and shakers category. We're going to kick this week off with Pelt Collector from Guilds of Ravnica. Of course, we're still in pre-order season, but we've got the foils for Pelt Collector moving from 11 to 15 for a 37% gain or something. This is on the back of mostly standard buzz with a little bit of maybe, sometime, maybe in modern. Um, Pelt Collector is looking like a very capable one drop that is likely to show up in what looks to be a series of pretty good green decks in the format. Yeah, um, thank goodness it's not a human is all I have to say. They don't, that deck does not need another one drop. I would argue that plus one plus one counter synergies are almost as dangerous as humans at this point. Um, and if there weren't already so many good cards in the uh, Construct Affinity deck with hardened scales and modern, this thing might be finding a home. Oof, that's a scary thought. Uh, next up on the list, uh, Mr. Gaddock Teague has jumped from $40 to $55. Uh, he just... He just needs to be printed again. Uh, that was Lorwyn. That was, I don't know, it feels like 40 years ago. I know it wasn't actually, but uh, the little two-drop who likes to uh, flip off Cryptic Command is, uh, we just need more of him. We got the, what was the special printing? It wasn't judge a judge promo. printing. It was a judge? Okay. We got one judge promo, but frankly, we need more. And uh, they can't bring him back fast enough, and Modern Masters 2019 will be the next one, right? Seems like a reasonable time frame uh, for him to show up in some Masters style set in 2019. However, the backlog, as we've talked about before, is now so large on cards for Modern that, you know, only a third of what you might expect could possibly show up in a set like that. 
So if he dodges the bullet again, this could be a 60 or $70 card before it gets a reprint. That's the world we live in, everybody. The, I mean, I, okay. I have notes buying these a few years back at like 4 to $6 or something. I remember uh, looking at this card and thinking, oh, this is this is fun. And uh, not thinking twice about it because I don't play enough Constructed Modern. And now it's uh, it's just so good when it lands. It shuts down so many of the annoying things that uh, decks want to do against you as a... Uh, he's a Kithkin, right? He's not a human or an elf? Correct. All right. Thank goodness again. Kithkin Advisor. Advisor being a fairly <laughs> uh, rare rule. Um, not a big commander per se, but does show up in a few thousand EDH decks as well. Um, see him in things like Captain Sisse and Carador. All right, so moving right along, we've got Fairy Macabre from Shadowmoor. Foils going from 15 to 25. This was, uh, I think, a Corbin Hostler pick on Brainstorm Brewery recently or something. Um, and you see Fairy Macabre showing up as uh, a anti-graveyard tech um, in some modern decks. And because, again, this is yet another card that's dodged reprints for a while. Uh, original pack foils showing some growth you know, more than a decade out from its original printing uh, is not particularly surprising, despite it not being a rare or a mythic. Uh, also, this is uh, one of the budget alternatives to Surgical Extraction as that card continues to climb. Fairy Macabre will give you a lot of the punch of that card, but not uh, it's just not as good. I, I, what are the scenarios in which you would want the Fairy instead of just a straight Surgical? I think the deal it's is the that it's an activated ability from in your hand, right? So right. it can't so it can't be countered because it's not a spell. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clarifying that for me. Yeah. So the, the ability to dodge the control decks like with the resurgence of blue white control with Teferi um, probably makes this more interesting. That makes sense. Uh, next you up, see it, you see it in in Living End and Modern. You see it all over the place in Legacy. Death and Taxes, Rakdos, Reanimator, Elves, Adrazi, Stompy. Being able to get around Force of Will and deal with graveyards is pretty pretty key in Legacy. Maybe more so than it is in Modern. Hmm. I I didn't know it was that widely adopted. All right. Uh, um, next up, so. we have uh, the foil version of Rolling Stones out of Seventh Edition. Uh, it's a rare there, right? Yeah, it's a rare. Uh, it's gone from about 20 to around 35. It has the uh, double bubble fun of being an Arcady Sabbath pick. And also it's a 7th edition rare in foil, which uh, if you haven't been aware of this, 7th edition foils, since it was the first corset in foil, tends to be a little more pricey than other foils. Yeah. Uh, I'm not convinced Arcady's is more than a flash in the pan. So I'm not huge on holding on to many of the relevant cards that have been spiking. I think you definitely want to be trying to exit, and it's safe to assume that in a lot of cases, these are more likely to be random things sitting around in your trade binder than they are things you've been accumulating in large quantity. I don't know how many people are uh, buying lots of rolling stones and foil, but uh, if, you are, if you've got one for sale, I, I think, yeah, this is the time to let it go, unless you've got your one foil set of sevens that you're just holding on to as a college fund for your children. Uh, next on the list, oh. we've got Doom Whisperer, one of the major mythics coming out of Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, Non-foils going from 10 to 20. This is mostly a standard spec, although long-term it also has, you know, maybe even 
better uh, legs in EDH Commander um, because in a format where you can activate the lose two life to surveil two more times on average given the average length of games and the fact that um, Commander you start with extra life um, means that there's all sorts of black decks in Commander that will want to make use of this thing. I Yeah, we, we're going to have a lot to say with this card with uh, Todd later, I imagine. So I don't want to get too deep into it. I'll just say that uh, any activated ability where you pay life in Commander can get really scary really quick. And yeah. there's, uh, like you said, there's a lot of decks where you don't mind paying starting at 10 life less if you start with 20 cards in your graveyard. Or however many it would be. It would be uh, 10 cards in the yard or whatever. All right, so next on the list, we've also got Shahrazad from Arabian Nights. Uh, this is one of these kind of like tier three nostalgia cards um, from the old school period that aren't necessarily played in uh, in old school decks or, you know, certainly aren't part of the Power Nine, but are cards that people from that era recognize and um, are from sets that were very low print runs. Um, everything pretty much from Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Elf, and Beta has been targeted at this point. Um, that's of note, and we will continue to see more cards pop off uh, in the longer term. This is moving from 350 to 900 for 150% gain. Whether anybody will actually give you 900 for a Near Mint Sharzad uh, remains to be seen. I think we're probably likely to see a pretty heavy retrace here, and I would imagine they'll be trading more in the 4 to 600 range in the near to mid future. Um, but in the very long term, stuff that's on reserve list certainly isn't going down. So, are you uh, at that adjusted price of four to six hundred? Are you buying? No, I just think there's other priorities, right? Like we've still got dual lands like Underground Sea and Volcanic that have shown heavy retraces after um, they were strongly targeted earlier in the year and are likely to push back down heading into the holidays around Christmas or looking for these. You know, end of quarter eBay sales. We've got a big fifteen percent coupon on eBay again tomorrow. You can snap up some duels that you're missing and and feel pretty confident that a you're going to get to play with them much more than something like Charizard, which is more of a novelty item than it is a playable card. Um, and that the overall demand profile from collectors is going to be that much higher over time. So uh, I don't want to derail the top movers, but you bring up buying duels. Uh, two friends of mine in the past month. Uh, have found out that their duels that they bought not not recently one was like four months ago and one was like seven months ago that they're not real and they were uh, eBay purchases and what aside from choosing carefully who you buy from is there much that you can do I mean as soon as you get the card you would uh, attempt to authenticate it I imagine and uh, you do a lot more business on eBay than I do so what would would they would eBay back them up? What would the procedure be like? Do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. Like if you're within the uh, complaints period, which I think is 30 days or something on eBay, you're definitely going to be able to um, get all your money back, no problem. Either PayPal or eBay will have your back, probably both. Um, usually, the complaint will go through eBay first and get dealt with. Um, the if it's from a major vendor, you want to probably reach out to them. Uh, separately outside of that platform and let them know that they need to check their inventory flow. Problem is that a lot of the major vendors are like, they're you're buying things in dozens and hundreds on the floor right. of GPs, fast and furious. It's all about efficiency. And my guess is that a lot of this stuff is slipping through the cracks, you know, here and there in very small volume. Like I still think that we're talking single digit percentage points of infiltration from, uh, from counterfeits within the market. But 
because they're not necessarily putting everything under a black light in a loop, if you're you know, buying expensive cards on a semi-regular basis, the onus is now on you to acquire those tools of the trade and be, you know, have your bookmarked tabs of the sites that explain what to be looking for for cards from various sets, what the dot pattern looks like, how they're supposed to look under uh, when you do the light test and so forth, and be double checking the stuff as it comes through the door. Um, I have several thousand dollars worth of reserve list stuff that I have not checked uh, fully, that I've done cursory checks to, but entirely possible one day i'll i'll be look, setting up to sell that stuff and we'll give it uh the once over with the the loop and the uv and find something of my own i have a um a fun little because i'm a high school science teacher i have some uh microscopes that clip on to cell phones and that's even more fun than using a loop using a loop feels good it makes you feel like oh, i was this like old school uh merchant who's trying to figure out the value of gold in an uncertain time <laughs> the cell phone camera microscope is a close second on enjoyability because you can see the dot pattern really clearly. That's nice. Um, yes, I mean, I think the, the short answer is check your cards when you get them. Uh, I think that you should be, think modern staples, duels, legacy staples, um, Power 9 stuff, all that stuff's got to be checked these days. Um, I've heard that like relatively cheap cards are starting to be counterfeited, but I haven't actually seen any yet. Um, like, you know, I, I have yet to see a mythic standard staple. One of the things that's caught that is, you know, leading to the difficulty in detecting fakes is just that the card stock has shifted so much um, right. in terms of its like how, how much it warps, how thin it is and so forth, um, the way it feels. And there's also a lot of differences between various languages, depending on which uh, production facility made cards. So like my Russian language, Japanese and English cards always feel different. Um, and being foil, I find Japanese cards feel very dry. Um, Russian cards tend to feel uh, more glossy, and the English stuff is somewhere in the middle. Now that's that's only been my experience, but that variation just makes it that much harder for buyers to be, you know, confidently flipping through cards and spotting fakes. Uh, the best of the best of those guys are still gonna, you know, have a pretty strong hand. In the touch and feel department but you know there, there's people at local shops that have very little experience and don't know what to look for this happened at the shop the other day we uh i found a temple garden from return of gravnica on the floor and it felt a little too soft and it ended up being this 30 minute discussion between everybody who didn't have a loop or a camera or anything about whether or not it was real and finally the uh the folks behind the the, the counter had to come in and grab the loop and get the light and say no it's real it just feels funny which is the last thing you want because now you you thought you'd be able to tell by the feel it doesn't feel right it's not glossy or it's too soft and you know just it's good advice as soon as you buy something especially something you're getting for a price that you really appreciate make sure it's not too good to be true part of this is look who's selling the stuff too um accounts with single digit sales or are brand new and the price is too good to be true i mean that's your first warning signal however um some some of the stuff is going to slip through with major vendors for the reasons we already discussed um okay so moving right along we've got sky diamond from commander 2014 in theory going from a dollar 25 to 350 our hated two dollar uh, upgrade on dollar cards uh it's a popular edh mana rock i don't think you're gonna get uh a, 
a super solid offer on buy lists, although I haven't double checked to see how high they are on Sky Diamond. My guess is that it might be able to get $2 off a buy list if if you got in under a dollar. Uh, the whole thing is just stay away from that kind of stuff. Preach. Uh, if you can find somebody to give you a couple bucks on your Sky Diamond uh, party on, it's been printed uh, three or four times, if I remember right. I know that it's good in my uncommon queue, but the first printing was in like Tempest or Mirage or something. I mean, I sold a seventh edition foil this year, but again, that's because it's the seventh edition foil. Right. Uh, next up, we have uh, one of the more unusual movements I've seen. Uh, back to basics, the rare from Urza Saga. It's uh, two and a blue enchantment, right? Yeah, two uh, and a blue. Yep, correct. Same as Blood Moon, but in blue. And non basic lands do not untap has gone from about a $70 card to 200 bucks. And everybody, this is not a reserved list card. Please, please. I don't think it's going to get reprinted anytime soon, but do not apply the usual logic of, oh, it can only go up. It will never get reprinted. We've dodged two times where they could have printed it quite easily in Iconic Masters and Masters 25, but this that does not rule it out. It's a backbreaking play in Legacy. It's not modern legal, but don't don't go into it thinking that it's it's a, a solid lock. Yeah, I'm gonna adjust that 200 down to 120 because that that's <laughs> closer to the lowest price currently on TCG Player. It's already retraced hard from the ask of 200 that got reported um, in the various pricing sites. The problem with pricing sites is that they're looking. They often look at uh, lowest near mint uh, copies. Um, which can be easily manipulated by simply, if something sells out, just reposting it at whatever price you want to get for it and daring <laughs> everybody to say differently. But the market's already backfilled this a little bit. It's still not in super, like it's still, the inventory is still relatively low. And even in Europe, there aren't that many copies to get your hands on. Um, Urza's block was a long, long time ago. And it's not on the reserve list, but it just hasn't seen a reprint. This is one of those things like Port or Wasteland that I expect reprints will heavily sabotage. Um, it's not. It's it's mostly a legacy card. It's not super important to anybody. It's not super nostalgia laden or anything. So if it shows up in Eternal Masters two next year, then boom, like the bottom falls out on this card right away. I feel like Port is a really good analogy for uh, the card because this is a fun card to lay down in certain decks in Legacy, but in a lot of Legacy decks you just can't play it. Uh, it's most popular in Miracles and. Um, What's the other one? Uh, Azoria Stoneblade. Yeah, Stoneblade decks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, next the, up, the thing is that oh, the thing no? is that the, like even the Miracles decks are only running two copies, so it's not yeah. even as good as Port, where Death and Taxes is a fairly major deck in the format, and they run four copies. So the if you can get over like anywhere from 100 to 120 on this, boom, sell and run. Like that's just amazing. Yeah, cash in if you can. Uh, I did see on the uh, the Legacy event over the weekend. Uh, I wasn't watching the championships, uh, the world championships, but the Star City event had a couple players with goblins, and Port was looking spicy in those decks too. I mean, keep in mind that Back to Basics was available in January 2017 for less than twenty dollars. So, <laughs> if you had any copies sitting around, either in your Legacy collection or you decided to go in on them for whatever reason, the you know your payoff is here. You don't have to get greedier than four times. Yeah, that, that's a good place to get out at uh, 400% profit. 
So next on the list, we've got Spinneret Sliver from Time Spiral. Foils going from 5 to roughly 20 if you believe that ask price. I don't really. I think it's probably likely to land in the 10 to 14 range. Um, the idea here is that white-green slivers in Popper makes heavy use of this card as a 4 of. Um, and as a result, somebody decided to go in on it. Popper is still just not that popular of a format. And how many of the Popper players are playing slivers, I don't know. Um, if this card ever got reprinted anywhere, foils would crash. So if you happen to be hang, hanging on to one or two copies of this, um, by all means, get rid of it. And if you're playing a foil popper deck, stop that. Like the whole point of popper <laughs> is to, to not make cards expensive. So why are you foiling your deck? Because you can. Because you, why do we need Mythic Edition? We don't need any of these things, but we want them so badly. Sure, but the ethos of Mythic Edition is embrace luxury, right? The the ethos of of Popper is reject is rejected. Don't don't you dare poop on somebody who wants to foil out their Popper deck. You know you you like Russian foils because they're rare and unique. Don't you dare sure, call out somebody else play, who likes. But I don't play Popper. <laughs> So, you know, forgive him. Uh, he knows not what a what a jerk he's being. I strongly disagree. But runaway steamkin from Guilds of Ravnica, non foils moving from a dollar to three fifty. Uh, people see this as being a key four of in a red aggro deck. This would be the fourth out of maybe five of the last uh, fall seasons where red aggro decks did did well. If this develops as expected. Um, Boros, whether it's Boros or Mono Red, um, the tools are there. There are definitely a bunch of strong red aggro cards and some burn to back it up. So um, I will not be surprised to see Runaway Steamkin um, hold a decent price, even under peak supply pressure. Um, I'm actually going to talk about the card um, uh, a little later in the cast once we get Todd on and explore its possibilities in Modern as well. Yep. Uh, I like, you know... Uh, as a friend of mine was talking about how this is going right in a storm as the uh, ninth through 12th copies of making stuff cheaper. And I like people who live in that kind of optimistic land because it it's kind of true. And yet it so completely is not. It's not often you can say something that is so wrong and so right at the same time. <laughs> it's much more likely to show up in something with Simeon Spirit Guide and Burning Tree Emissaries and Pack the Titan and blah, blah, blah that Todd will get into once we see him. Mm, uh, it does pay for there's decks that have been proposed that pr provide turn two, if not turn one, kills. <laughs> uh, and speaking of uh, tomfoolery, our last card this week, going from a buck to around five, is the single rare enchantment Curse of Opulence out of Commander 2017. Uh, you choose a player. Whenever that player gets attacked, you get a, a treasure token, right? And I've got a nice, thick pile of these waiting to buy list. Yummy, yummy, yummy. And thanks to Jason Alt for pointing this out when it was first released in Commander 2017. Um, lots of people said this card was garbage, and I picked up 40 copies at like 25 cents or something. And the buy list on Card Kingdom is 286 in credit. Well, go forth and uh, grab yourself something sweet. Because uh, it's it's fun with um, probably Brutaclad, right? The Brutaclad? I don't yeah. know how to say it. Yeah, it's a Brutaclad thing. The token maker. And then uh, throw some mechanized production in there and you're all set. Or, um, yeah, mechanized production. Just win the game. Don't mess around. I'm not sure how like popular 
Brutoclad is really going to be. Um, but seeing as how the card has a moment and people are willing to take these in on buy lists, I, I see no reason to hang back. It's New showing up in 2,000 decks on EDH Rec. Uh, I don't think it's going to get reprinted anytime soon. It just came out last year. From what we've seen on Commander original cards, they almost never get reprinted. In fact, I can't off the top of my head think of a Commander deck unique card that we've seen reprinted to date. I guess true name nemesis in M in uh, Battle Bond, right? That one, um, and, and, and that was not, originally printed in Commander twenty thirteen, right? Uh, not counting Commander Anthology reprints. Sure. Um, yeah, I can't think of any either. The only way they put more in the market was the anthologies. I'm trying to think like to early. Oh, it's Flusterstorm. Flusterstorm. That was a Commander original. Yeah, that was a iconic Masters card. Uh, or, yeah, or 25, one of those two. Plus, it had a, another George Boylan, too. But anyway, you're right. They almost never reprint these. And they're yeah, and not going to especially Curse of Op I don't think the curses were all that well-received overall, and I don't think they're going to be on, on the priority list to get a reprint anytime in the next three to five years. So I, I think I'll I, on the buy list I'm sending in shortly, I'll probably send in half of them and then sit on the other half for six months and see where we land. What do you hope it would get to? If Bylas gets to four or five, that's that would be lovely. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll we'll see where that goes. Uh, so let's get to segment two: the cards that we want to watch this week. Uh, James, there's a, a delightful theme in a couple of your picks. Lead us off. Well, I think I might have been one of the first people in North America to pre-order Mythic Edition singles because one of the vendors in Quebec. Um, that has early access to Mythic Edition next week. Uh, next week? Yep, next week. Um, the first GP that Channel Fireball is running that is going to have access to Mythic Edition uh, sets on location is going to be in Quebec, Canada. So anybody attending that event has a little bit of an edge on the rest of the market because even before people have gotten their Hasbro Toy Shop orders, people that attend Quebec are going to be able to attempt to sell through on eBay and overseas and try to set prices on the market. So the Quebec vendor, most of the prices I agreed with the way they had set the Planeswalkers, but they set Elspeth Knight Errant at uh, somewhere in the somewhere depending on your exchange rate between thirty and thirty-two dollars US, and that sounded scandalously low to me for the masterpiece version of one of the most popular Planeswalkers in Commander and over nine thousand decks on EDH Rec, um, probably the best art. Uh, in the entirety of Mythic Edition because it's got uh, Elspeth pictured um, post her death on the plane of Theros in the underworld with the mask that she's forced to wear underground. Um, so that's cool. And given that pack foils are somewhere in the $40 range, I can't imagine that the Masterpiece version is going to stay much below 60 or 70 in the mid to long term. I think, uh, did you actually get a chance to purchase these in the 30-odd range? Yeah, I bought them. How many? Can I ask? Is that okay? Four. Four? Just four. All right, just four? All right. Thank, thank goodness you're not being too evil, because this you're right. This is a steal. If you if you can get these under 50, it's, uh, it's a fantastic deal, and you did good. Is it available on Hasbro Toy Shop? I thought I didn't even know if we had a chance to buy that. Not yet. Okay. It's October 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. 
goody goody gub drops on october october 3rd i get to fight with that website i can't wait yeah <sighs> gp montreal is october 5th to 7th so it's like depending on how fast hasbro toy shop ships and i suspect it will not be that fast um montreal will be a few days ahead of the crowd uh, oh it's sick that you got these for 32 well i mean it was they also had, for instance, Teferi's and Liliana's, which are the two most important Planeswalkers, I think, in the set. Everybody can agree. Um, in and around 100 US, which seems solid. I, I think I held back on those because I, they tie up more capital for longer. And I'm I'm very confident that Elspeth was underpriced. I think those are about what market price will be. And I think there's going to be a chance to get them uh, between the 80 and 100 range. I, I like Terra Fairy, as I've mentioned on cast before, long-term to go 200+, and I think Liliana can hold 150+. plus. Um, this is Liliana the Last Hope. If it was Liliana of the Veil, that would be a whole different story. That would be 300+, <laughs> plus probably. Um, now, I'm, I'm but, curious, though, why you think uh, these are going to go significantly up from where they end up, or do you think that they're... So, like, Elspeth, <clears throat> you don't think it's going to grow to 50. You just think it's underpriced. It should be at 50. I want to be clear about no, this. No, I no, I think that it's uh I think we'll see it in the 40 to 50 range um for pre-order in other places and then a lot of this is going to in the short term is going to depend on how the market shapes up, how fast and if uh the set sells out. One second. Bless you. Sorry, one second. <clears throat> <laughs> I hope he leaves this in. I don't think he's going to, but it'd be funny if it was. And just imagine your microphone is now covered in this delightful layer of Canadian mucus. Thankfully not. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is going to depend on how uh, and how fast Mythic Edition sells out. Channel Fireball claims that Mythic Edition um, print run was not increased for them to be able to sell units, which in theory reduces the total number that are going to be on Hasbro Toy Shop. Um, my guess would be that the, each GP got three to 500 units, um, so three to 500 sets to sell, something like that. And that would put us in range for my continued you know, guesswork estimation that there's probably going to be something like 10,000 sets of these. I think that that number would have been plucked out of uh, not thin air, but from comparison to past Masterpiece series, um, where they know how many Masterpieces they printed for Zendikar, for Kaladesh, and for Amonkhet block, and I would expect this to be pretty similar. Um, I think the high range on number of sets being printed is 20,000, and the low is 5,000. So let's say that we're working within that range. Channel Fireball has not managed to sell out any of the the allocations for these events. I saw that the Japanese one went down briefly, but now seems to be back in stock. So I don't know if they canceled some orders from somebody who was obviously placing duplicates or they just shifted some of their allocation from other events that were not selling very fast over to Japan. Because the thing about Channel Fireballs, once they get those allocations, they might have planned for 300 units. But if if one event, like let's say Milwaukee, only gets 40 orders, they're going to send the rest of the extras ahead to the the GP that's two ahead. You know what I'm saying? Like right. they're just going to keep bumping inventory forward, and 
and then say once Grand Prix Vancouver is over, they have to, you know, there might be a blowout on the Channel Fireball on the Channel Fireball website or something, or or they might end up on the prize wall at future GPs in Q1. I don't think no matter no matter what happens, I don't think that we see these hanging around in the market for primary sale past the next release of the next set, right. because I suspect we're going to get another set of Planeswalkers. Right, we're going to get for... Mythic Edition for Ravnica Allegiant, or whatever it's called. Right, part two, right. So, um, And that could include things like Jace the Mind Sculptor, or Mythic Edition, Liliana of the Veil, and what have you. So, um, given all of that, uh, I think how deep you go on this stuff is very much about you know how quickly the market seems to be gobbling it up in the short term. And if it seems like sets are going to be relatively easy to get your hands on, then you may as well not mess around with complete sets because I don't think that there's going to be tremendous value in these sets being sealed given that the presentation of them as a booster box as opposed to a San Diego Comic-Con style display right. set is lessened. You know, the San Diego sets display well on their own as collectibles. These, because of this weird decision to put the Planeswalkers in eight of the booster packs in the box, um, is not going to be as much of a collectible sealed. So in which case, you you can just go ahead and cherry pick um, the singles that you think are important. And another supportive reason for that is that some of these Planeswalkers are just not priorities, right? Like you have Duretti and... Um, Nicol Bolas and you know three or four of them are just not going to be in super high demand. Raul Zarek, I think as well and Vraska um, probably not going to be in super high demand. Uh, whereas Liliana, um, Teferi, Elspeth and maybe Tezzeret um, are probably going to flood the market at some point. There will be we will hit peak supply somewhere maybe two-thirds of the way through these GPs and um, before they head overseas, where I suspect that more of them will get gobbled up. Um, for instance, I would not be surprised if like Warsaw and Japan definitely sold out um, because it's the only chance those continents get right. at, at this set. So it will behoove <clears throat> vendors to pick, snap up as many as they can through their staff that are on site and stockpile them for later. Even if it's going to be a slow burn turnaround, they should be able to make the market because there just won't be that many sets out there. Like for, for North America through Hasbro Toy Shop plus the GPs, you might end up having 8,000 of the sets located in North America. But because there's only a handful of GPs overseas and they are mo only located in specific countries in Europe and in Japan, um, with one GP in Japan and one, two, three, I think, in Europe and then one in Australia, right? There's Grand Prix Melbourne on the list. Uh, oh, sorry, I've got this wrong. Two in Japan, Nagoya and, and Shizuka. Um, so two in Japan, one in Australia, and uh, two in Europe, if I'm reading that correctly. Yeah. Uh, one in Canada, and then the rest in, in the U.S. Means that I still think the end, the end goal will be to sell these copies through overseas. Because right. the total number of sets overseas shouldn't be difficult to absorb. And then they're just anybody who's left wanting one or finds out about it later or really likes the ones that are announced in the second wave next year and decides to go back and get all of them. Um, those people are going to be flailing around and, and prices will rise. So I think that my, as I did with the masterpieces from Kaladesh, my game plan was maybe I'll have to hold these for two or three years. And if it, and if it, heats up faster because other people underestimate and leave too many copies sitting around 
um, then maybe, you know, I'll move in on some singles when the timing seems right and, you know, get lucky and only have to do a six or nine month hold. Now, as it turns out with masterpieces, that was definitely the case. Uh, sorry, Kaladesh inventions. That was definitely the case with Amonkhet. Not so much. The stuff, the specs I made on Amonkhet worked out. Okay. But there's been some, some more significant retracing on the invocations because they, the art style was not beloved. The expeditions got targeted last year. Um, and then retraced some after that targeting because it was clearly spec driven, um, in, combination with uh you know relatively low stable player demand and i still sell like i sold a playset of uh expedition wooded foothills just last week and maybe three weeks before that sold a playset of bloodstained myers both of which were imported from europe and made me good money um so i feel pretty confident that the singles are going to make money if you focus on the top four planeswalkers in the set and don't get too worried about whether you get your hands on sealed product. I guess that's the, the summary. All right. And the only thing I want to add to that is that uh, when they come to my neck of the woods in Oakland, the first weekend of July I, of January, I really hope they decide to have one or two left over to sell. It would be really convenient for me. <laughs> uh, I mean, by, by that point, you may you might just be able to you know snag the singles you want because the market will be well established. I'm not so sure I'd want to buy singles individually. I don't think I'm going to use them. They aren't a high priority for me for a commander, and just being able to buy the set at retail is going to be ridiculous value. That's well established. It's just that it's it's eight eight planeswalkers basically at twenty five dollars a pop, right. right? And then the other fifty bucks plus tax is is the cost of the twenty four packs you're getting. Yeah, so don't forget you're getting, you know, the packs on top of things. You're going to want to pick up this box. I can imagine the fist fight that would ensue among my friends if I bought one box and said, we're going to draft this box, you jerks, and we're going to see who gets what. And uh, it would be a, a grand time. <laughs> That's fun. It would be fun. <clears throat> I have my giant cube. Especially down the road, like holding one of the boxes sealed for that purpose is pretty cute because a few years down the road, if Liliana is at 150 plus or 200 and Teferi's at two to three, um, then, you know, that, that starts to get pretty exciting in the same way that opening a invention soul ring would be for commander players. Yeah, it's true. Um, <clears throat> All right. So moving right along, uh, you had your first pick of the week. My first pick this after week. the 20 minute, 20 minute detour <laughs> on mine. Uh, mine this week is Fatal Push Foils. Uh, you can get pack foils for $17 to $20 right now, and that seems criminal. So I'm telling everybody to go forth and pick up. Uh, you can get pack foils at a really great price. I think that's where the better play is. If you want to go in on some Friday night foils, you can get those for uh, under $10. You can get them 5 to $10 on eBay or TCG. And this is just... I didn't think there would be this much of a dumping effect, but the price has been steadily decreased, de declining, and we are now at the point, since it's rotating out of standard, this is the cheapest it's going to be for some time. We might get a reprint uh, in a Modern Masters because it's literally in 10% of Modern decks, but uh, I think that the original pack foil is a pretty safe place to be, and I think it's going to hit $40 within the next year to 18 months. I, I don't think we're going to see it reprinted in 2019, so that's good. Um, it is only an uncommon, so that's not good. The foil, because there is a Friday night uh, promo that debatably has better art, um, the the overall inventory is not particularly low. 
my choice here was to go after the Russian foil, Russian pack foils and Russian FNM foils that I picked up at 15. I think those are going to be pretty good holds long term. Um, if this was a rare, I'd, I'd feel better about it. If Assassin's Trophy hadn't just been announced, which is going to dilute the play of both Abrupt Decay and Fatal Push in Modern. I think you're right um, about Decay. I do not think Trophy is going to touch Fatal Push in Modern. One, one mana versus two and the land advantage. People are already putting in a couple of basics just for their path to exile use. I think that um, having a couple of basics is now just a given in Modern with both Assassin's Trophy and, and uh, Path to Exile running around. And uh, uh, the land, too. Um, uh, Field of Ruin. Field of Ruin. Field of Ruin. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about all that stuff more with Todd. But my, my core point is that there are, between Path to Exile, Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay, and Assassin's Trophy, there's a wide toolbox of available options. So it means that you're that much less likely to be running something as a four of. True. Uh, I just know that uh, where it's gone and where it can go, I, I feel pretty good about uh, this particular pick. I'm, I'm in on this. Uh, tell me about your next one, James, uh, on the topic of... So, so you, you you were talking about Fatal Push Foils at 17 to go to 40, but you can actually get copies on TCG right now at 12. Oh, not for long. Hang on. 12... Not for long, you can't. <laughs> so if you, can go, if you were going to go from 12 to, say... 25 as a more conservative guess i would feel better about it okay i i I mean anything at 12 is just gravy uh even 17 to 25 wouldn't that wouldn't make me too happy but being able to double up if they have near mint copies at 12 i i actually didn't look before i came on yeah they do uh okay so the other i already mentioned this but teferi hero of dominaria is my top pick for the planeswalker most likely um, to appreciate long-term from Mythic Edition. I think you're going to get a chance on Teferi somewhere between 70 and 100, depending on uh, how peak supply plays out. It, I guess one additional point is, if nobody buys this set, <laughs> then like if none of these GPs sell out, and it, and it never seems to sell out on Hasbro Toy Shop, and it's just lingering there forever... Don't trick yourself into believing that that somehow hurts the long-term demand for the cards. Um, there, is, there are people that don't want to spend two hundred and fifty dollars at a in a single pop. There are people that um, don't want to buy something if nobody else is buying it. So if the lemmings don't all jump off the cliff, they may decide it's just not a priority because um, they don't want to be the odd duck out. And we've seen that before with with other promos that eventually climb hard. And the other thing is that if nobody buys it, then anybody who does buy it. it makes up a very small portion of the market and if they manage to unload then they're going to have to go back to the well at future gps to get additional stock and if that's going well for them but it's just happening quietly in the background then that's kind of like the best of all possible worlds the um the difference between these masterpieces and other masterpieces as well is that um some of the for instance inventions or expeditions are still tied up in booster boxes like it, there are less of them on the market because they were not all purchased. A lot of that stuff's just sitting in back inventory and warehouses and stuff. Um, and if Mythic Edition sells out, you're going to see a, a much, much more pressure on prices because of a much 
more robust peak supply. Like if it sold out because a bunch of vendors went deep and decided to buy them all out, then they would all be trying to flip them and the prices will crash. If people are much more tentative about the set, then there will be much less of it in circulation in a short period of time, which will actually prop prices up. So it's kind of like counterintuitive, but these are all things that you should be watching out for. Bottom line is, I don't care about any of that mid to long term. Mid to long term, Teferi just seems like an ultra safe bet. Wait till you see it bottoming out at whatever it seems to be stable at. 80, 85, 70, 75, somewhere in that range would be my guess. And then go ahead and snap it up. Keep in mind, pack foils are 100 bucks. There's no way these ma the masterpiece versions are going to be, be below the pack foil versions. The only caveat I have on top of all of that is we know now that the foiling process is not FTV foiling, but the only video clip we saw still looked kind of funky. So it's possible once people get these in hands, everybody will throw their hands up and go, ah, the foiling's terrible, and then nobody wants them. It better not be a sucky foil process. I hope they, I want to hope, I should to put that in a much better phrase, I want to hope that they know better than to give us a sucky foil process for this. I had an order that I placed with somebody through Montreal canceled today for two copies uh, because of an exchange rate dispute or more of a, a minor error in the way it was tabulated. And I didn't feel bad about it at all because there's, there's other options to pick them up from other people. Montreal actually has the highest taxes um, of any of the states or provinces that are getting this. So uh, it's actually cheaper to source it from other contacts in the U.S. Yeah, especially if they're going to bring uh, a few hundred units to each Grand Prix and they're letting you pre-order them. Yeah. All right, so your next pick? Uh, my other pick this week is another card in standard. I think Search for Escanta is undervalued at $18. Uh, we've seen how high this card can go. We've seen how widely it's played in uh, Modern and Legacy. And we have a year to go with this card just wrecking face with Surveil. If you thought flipping it... Uh, turn seven-ish was good. Wait till you flip it on turn three or four. So I think this has the easy... I think this is going to go from about 18 where it's at. I think 30 is quite reasonable, and it might even go higher depending on how good blue-black blue control is, whether it's blue-white, blue-black, some combination. Just Teferi plus Search <laughs> is so, so busted. And uh, there's a year left of that delightful control shell left. My argument on this is that you you don't play four copies of Surge in Standard. Um, the Standard players all have their single or, or two copies that they purchased last year because if they were playing blue already, which they may, may well have been since Teferi was dominant since the springtime, um, I, I'm not sure how many additional players are going to jump on the blue bandwagon. It's also, as Todd's going to explain to us later, not immediately clear that uh, a blue control deck that supports Teferi well is emergent um, in the fall Standard. Doesn't mean I don't like Search. I mean, I've called this card a couple times before, but my focus in the past has been on both the Japanese buy box foils that most people didn't even realize existed, which I called the Mapster pieces, and then the pack foils, uh, sorry, the English buy box versions. And if you look at the the Bab foils for Search um, as a long-term spec, the ramp is really steep. You can get uh, Bab foils for Search at 65 or so into the $70 range, on TCG, but about 10 copies later, you're talking about 90 plus, and then it's into well over 100. 
So that's some retracing from where it spiked close to 100 earlier this year, but the market will chip away at that and chip away at that. And there's no replacement mod like Valve for the buy box promos from last year, unlike Mythic Edition, whose total edition size is, you know, an open-ended question mark at this point. We know, you know, how how many buy boxes are out there in the market in terms of what the inventory looks like already. We, that's well-established. It's draining. If I, if I was pointing people at Search for Us Contest, I'd say, go ahead and pick up a couple buy boxes to play in your standard deck, and you're not going to be disappointed because you're going to be playing them for years. That's a good way to put it. We have a, <clears throat> a healthy amount of disagreement this week. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. My, my final pick of the week is Ethervile, going in a totally different direction. Um, I'm specifically looking at both the... In, uh, uh, Iconic Masters and Modern Masters 2015 versions. Because the card has been reprinted that many times in the last few years, unlike many other modern staples that are on deck to get their first reprint in five, six, seven years, I don't think that whatever master set we get in 2019 will include Other Vile. And as a result, I think that you could go ahead and scoop up 30 to, you know, 20 to $32 copies now and expect to get out closer to 50 um, if you need them for a deck like humans or whatever, that's a no-brainer. Just you know, get them, use them, and then if you get tired of the deck later or the appreciation's been super healthy and the metagame has shifted, you uh, should be able to exit um, in in secure fashion. It's just you know, when it's played, it's always a four of, and the reprint schedule seems to be in its favor. Uh, I hate banking on wizards to do something logical because they've they've just not been logical so often i i think back to um them printing iona shield of ameria two times in three months they put her in the angel set and then in uh i caught one of the master's sets but you're if you dodge the reprint again and this is one of the most played cards in modern so i i don't know this i i would almost feel better about like uh putting some money into uh um, <laughs> We sound a lot like you now. Uh, put some, put that money into one or two invention copies and have that be a lot safer and uh, a lot less. There, there's nowhere to go for those but up. Even uh, going for some pack foil ether vials would make me happier than the reprint ones, which are the ones most likely to take a hit if it is reprinted. <coughs> if you can get some masterpiece ether vials say 175 minus the 15% eBay coupon tomorrow, that's totally fine. You're going to, they'll eventually be 250. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to prioritize that because my in on other vials was less than 70 US um, for masterpieces. And I've already sold through most of mine. So uh, there's a little bit of mental trickery sometimes when you've, you know, something might still be a solid deal. Um, but if it's current price is higher than your, the sale price that made you money, you have trouble wrapping your head around the fact that you, you might, it might be true that you're supposed to dip your toe I, back in. I think that a lot of what you do, people have trouble imagining like what you do. One of these days you're going to publish an entire spreadsheet on us and show us exactly what your budget has been these years. And a lot of people are going to say, I knew he uh, was one of those guys. <laughs> it's funny that you should mention spreadsheets. Because after I got hacked while I was overseas in Europe, um, I had to do a bunch of stuff by paper and uh, on the temporary devices I was using. And I was just pulling back together my data and getting it all updated for July, August, and September um, the other day. And was very pleased to find that 
in the last $27,000 worth of stuff I sold, the mark, the mark, all of which was in a portion of this year, um, the return net after fees, after shipping, after everything, after cost, goods sold completely was 110%. So to translate, that means you got uh, a twenty-one dollars out for every ten dollars you put in. No, it means that I got your profit was a hundred. Your profit something was something like something like thirteen and a half, thir like fourteen and a half on thirteen or something. You said you're so that would only. Now I am not a business major, and I'm going to sound like an idiot. D double it and add 10%. Yes. Right? So like if you put, if your cost after everything was 10,000 and you make 110%, then you end up with Right, so for every 000, right? 10, so you're agreeing with me, it feels like. So you put in 10 and you got 21. So I have I have the numbers in front of you. I can just give them to you. Yeah. So the, the, the total cost was 12,578. eBay fees was just over 2,000. PayPal fees was closer to seven. Shipping costs were four or 500 bucks. And the total there was twenty six six ninety seven total profit of fourteen thousand one thirty one, which was a total margin of one hundred and twelve percent. Average average hold time of about ten months. The point of that is not humble bragging. The point of that is to say that across it is it is in fact possible over a diverse portfolio, actively managed and um, supported by other bright minds in the community. Um, in situations where you are not pursuing uh, being right so much as you are gathering the best idea on any given day, um, success is very, very possible. And and it's interesting because I was talking to vendors last week about what margins are at the end of the year before they have their accountants do their financial wizardry or whatever to drain the remaining profit. And the consensus margin was somewhere around 5%, never more than 10 and as low as 2 from various vendors I talked to. So this is like comparing being an armchair, a good armchair speculator to an active LGS, your dollar, for, your dollar to sweat <laughs> ratio is much, much better from your desk at home. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I, I know a guy who's been living out of his binder for something like uh, almost two years now. He's just been going to every single Grand Prix in North America, uh, value trading and having a grand time because he's, young and can do that and doesn't mind you know i need my bed i'm old i freely admit it as i close in on 40 i'm like all right no i need my creature comforts i can't go to a different hotel i can't drive for two days every single week of every single year i couldn't i couldn't do that he's a, a much better man than i am in that respect i'm impressed that you are keeping this good a track of uh, what you're spending, especially, uh, man, that's a, I have never moved anything close to that volume. And I know it stings when I'm paying like 20 bucks in eBay fees or 50 in PayPal fees and you're playing down four figures on me. And I'm just, uh, I'm thoroughly impressed. It, it, as long as your game plan assumes that you're going to have a 15 to 20 percent cost basis that you intend to beat regularly by doubling or tripling that then that is just assumed right like that's 
even things like getting stolen from, which is going to happen a few times a year, regardless of which platform you're selling on, is just you just chalk it up. Like you do your best to parse it and defeat it. And if you fail, you know, you might have a few hundred dollars in losses per year just from that. And you suck it up and keep rolling because all that matters is that, you know, the profit margin and the turnover time, right? So like if it was 110% over and the average hold was three and a half years, that would still be good, but it wouldn't be super impressive. Um, but the average hold time on the cards in question here was 10 months. And it doesn't mean that you make money on everything. Like I just sold a couple of cards the other day that I lost like 25% on. But as long as net, you know, overall, your game plan is real solid. And, you know, you try not to get super greedy. You, you try to dis- discipline uh, your picks. Stick to not trying to be original. It's okay to be boring. Um, and work the supply side. I think, honestly, I think that the the strongest portion of my strategy is nothing creative from my own head. It is simply the discipline to pay attention to supply side economics and magic. Looking at which cards are obviously popular, are needed in formats, aren't likely to see a reprint anytime soon, and are in short supply. And if you play cleanup, if you play cleanup on that stuff just before it sells out, People can claim that you're, you're quote unquote buying it out all they want, but you know, really all you're doing is riding the coattails of trends you have nothing to do with. I want to wrap up this point by saying you just said magic players should not be greedy. And I feel like you don't know you've been at this a while, and clearly you don't know the first thing about how we play this game. It's really impressive. You just tried <laughs> to advocate to not be greedy when we want to play things that'll triple our tokens, for example. Yeah, fair. All right, so let's move on to our metagame week in review. Um, SGG Baltimore was a legacy tournament this past weekend. There was only like 400, 450 players or whatever. Um, underscoring my you know rolling commentary that I don't think legacy is a particularly important format from a financial perspective or really for the future of the game. Um, hampered by, as it is by the reserve list and in a position where modern continues to advance its overall power level and the health and breadth of that format. Um, you know, I think it's going to mean mean less and less to the community over time. However, at Baltimore, we had in the top eight, Four Color Loam, Grixis Control, Golgari Dark Depths, Grixis Control, Eldrazi Post, Four Color Loam, Grixis Reanimator, which is probably the most uh, interesting deck of the tournament, and Mono Blue uh, Painter's Deck. I love a good Painter's Deck. I think that um, you're overlooking something about Legacy in that it doesn't see as quick a set of um, adaptations as modern does because uh, legacy generally doesn't care as much about new sets coming out and some of the interactions because blue is just so clearly the best color in the format in most circumstances. Uh, And you're overlooking the, the joy that some people take in playing the same deck for several years. Don't, uh, don't sleep on it. What? Well, I mean, I don't, it, in no way is my commentary reflective of how much people enjoy the format. <laughs> I'm talking about the raw numbers of how many people show okay, up to true. the tournament. Uh, if those 400 people enjoy that, but the modern tournament pulls in 1,500, then it's pretty clear which tournament the community is more in support of, or at least um, which one they can afford to play or have access to the cards for. Um, but the bottom line is that if modern, if nobody was showing up for modern, and it was really clear that the format was terrible or, or broken, 
and legacy was in a really good place but reserve list was holding it back there would be a much and say for instance standard didn't exist at all there'd be a much stronger argument overall if magic was a much more narrow game platform to reprint the reserve list but it's the it's the the, sh the fact that magic is a very broad platform with many different play variants poss made possible um more all the time really that relegates legacy and vintage to being curiosities for the majority of the players. Yeah. Uh, how many, um, well, let's get back to this before I, I sidetrack us yet again. Um, what on here, anything in this list, like really sing to you? Are you going to run out and buy uh foil cloud posts for instance? No, the only thing that I, I very infrequently buy a spec that is legacy based. The only time in recent memory where that was relevant was when they banned right. Deathrite Shaman, right? Because it was a seismic shift in the format, the first one in many years. And so we did see a bunch of cards move this year in response to that. But there's been some significant retracing on the cards involved as well, because the thing about Legacy, and, and one of the reasons, the other reasons um, that I've talked about in the past that I don't think it's you know good for the health of the game to, for a lot of people to be playing it as their main format, is that once you have the Legacy collection, you very rarely need new cards. Like, okay, they ban Deathrite Shaman, so those go back in your box and they just sit there. But you probably had, whatever deck you shift to, you probably had those cards. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody in Legacy has everything, but Legacy players, given the value of their decks and what that likely means about how long they've been in the game or how much disposable income they have, um, tend to have a lot more options than, say, your average 10-year-old at FNM. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, I, yeah, I didn't have a lot that I wanted to jump in on financially either. I always like to peek at the sideboards and see if anything spicy is going on there. Cause that tends to be lesser valued cards. That was one of the first places that told me, uh, when Colgan's command foils were still cheap, but, um, on this one, there's no, no real shocks, no real surprises, nothing spicy. No, I mean. There's some, there's some decks here that you don't always see in Legacy Top 8s, but it was also a smaller tournament in a specific geo, geo region, right? The In terms of financial influence, a card like Fatal Push or Assassin's Trophy that's going to echo back through many formats, like Trophy hits everything at once. It hits Standard, Modern, Legacy, Vintage, and EDH in relatively equal measure um, to, a, you know, to, to some degree of small variance. Um, and because of that, the that card is very important. It's also very overpriced at the moment. Um, and if we're going to talk about Gills of Ravnica cards, we may as well move on over to Todd. So let's uh, head over to segment four. Okay, everybody. It is that time of year. We're on to segment four here. Our review uh, from a competitive perspective um, uh, of Guilds of Ravnica, the new set coming out this fall, which is going to represent a whole new standard environment and new exciting cards for modern and edh and all the other formats in magic the gathering and uh, as per usual we have our favorite uh, spike todd stevens joining us from star city games and the ponder podcast currently ranked number eight on the scg tour how are you tonight mr stevens i am doing wonderful thank you so much for having me back on I've really enjoyed the previous set reviews that we've done, and I'm looking forward to another good one here with Guilds of Ravnica. Always our pleasure to have you on board, sir. Uh, how is uh, are things over in streaming land? 
Oh, things are going uh, really well. Um, I don't know if you see, but I've recently played this teamer deck in Modern that kind of looks like a pile of cards, like a trade binder. But I've uh, played it twice now um, on stream, and those have been the only 10 matches I've played, two leagues, and I've actually won every match, been 10-0 with the deck. And uh, I'm really excited to continue to play that, and I was actually going to play it this last weekend at the Open. If I didn't make Day 2, I was going to play it in the Classic, but... Yeah, so stream is going really well, and of course with Guilds Ravnica coming out, that's always a really fun time to stream with new sets, so everything's going good over here. Sweet. Alright, so let's jump in on our... We're going to go through what we think are probably going to be the 10 most important cards in the three biggest formats, Standard, Modern, and EDH Commander. Um, let's jump in on Standard. I know there's been a lot of discussion and all sorts of testing going on with the Star City crew. You guys... Uh, did a live stream today. There's been a bunch of articles by the various pros on the site over the last week or two. Um, how's standard shaping up from your perspective? Are we looking at a good standard this fall? Uh, yes, we actually really are. So it's been like, you know, four or five sets in a row here where we've kind of thought that it's going to be a new standard whenever we've seen it, but really it, it hasn't been. Um, and I think Gilza of Ravnica actually is going to just completely break everything up. So throughout the last like year or so, we've had just a few certain decks that have been really uh, just dominating the format and kind of built around some really difficult to answer threats. We've had Hazaret, we've had the Scarab God and uh, Teferi, of course. And then the one that people don't really mention very much that's actually really been the biggest linchpin in standard has been Chandra Torture Defiance. Chandra Torture Defiance, ever since like the first two months of its existence, we're the other around 20 months, it was in the best deck of the format for 20 months straight it was in like the teamer energy decks uh like starting with like the teamer marvel or like the the green red marvel whenever that was a thing and then uh and then teamer marvel after that and then the the sahili the four color sahili deck and all the way on through mono red and so i think that 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 very underrated powerful card that's just been dominating standard without rotating uh we're gonna have a brand new standard now how do we were talking about the soft cast? I wanted to get your opinions on record. Um, what does this new format mean for the dominant planeswalkers out of Dominaria like Karn or Teferi? So, thankfully, Guilds of Ravnica did not give anything to Karn or Teferi. So, those were two cards that we were really concerned about them dominating, and kind of the same with Goblin Chain, Chain Whirler. There's not really a whole lot of great red cards in the set, also, and a lot of the red cards rotated out. So with Azorius not being one of the guilds, thankfully, in Guilds of Ravnica for Teferi, and with the multitude of mono-red cards, I think that the hold that Goblin Chain Whirler and Teferi had on the format is really going to loosen up, and we're going to see a lot more decks built around these guilds. Well, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people that have gotten locked down by Teferi this summer will be plenty happy to hear that. Yeah, we. I mean, we have at least a few months until the next set whenever Azorius comes out. Hopefully Azorius is not too good in the next set. What about Nexus of Fate? Is, uh, is that given that they did in fact get the additional four copies of Fog that they needed to have eight? Is that deck still a thing? Has it shown up? Have you guys talked about it in testing at all? We haven't really talked about it too much. Um, it still could be a thing, but I'm pretty skeptical. The Bant mana isn't very good. But at least you will have Gift of Paradise and Chromatic Lantern to be able to help that out. But if you don't draw those cards or if those get blown up, the mana base for like the band colors is not very good. Um, so far, I've been impressed by, 
a lot of different aggressive decks, and so that could be uh, troublesome for a Nexus of Fate deck. Sure. All right. I mean, this this wouldn't be the first fall season that started off with red aggressive decks kicking ass for the better part of eight weeks, right? <laughs> yep. And it's not only just red aggressive decks. Um, there's definitely green aggressive decks are looking really good. And even today, I <clears throat> saw a blue-black aggro deck that looked really strong. All right, let's jump in on the stand top 10 cards that are likely to impact standard from Guilds of Ravnica. Mostly we're talking about rares and mythics here since we are looking at this from a finance perspective, although there are certainly plenty of interesting uncommons and some commons as well. Um, no, bottom of our list, number 10, we have Tajik, Legion's Edge, a very potent-looking Boros threat. Can you talk to me about how that's been looking in testing? Oh, yeah, that card is just absolutely fantastic. So one thing that somebody or that most people have been overlooking, um, in my opinion, is the mentor ability for the Boros cards. A lot of people just kind of saw mentor and assumed it was mostly for limited, but not really constructed. But I've actually been just really impressed with all of the mentor cards and how they just kind of compound compound on each other. Um, so Tajik not only can go in like a mentor heavy uh, Boros deck, but it's also just a really good card for a mono red kind of splashing white for a little bit for it and Aurelia. And um, it's just going to be one of those cards that's going to be a week one staple that's going to be where people are attacking right away. And it's just a very strong card. Right. And so is the deal here that Boros was just given a really great curve? Like the curve out potential is very strong? Yeah. Um, even just like the basically the block constructed deck from Guilds of Ravnica, the Boros deck has just a really good curve. That's the deck mostly that I just played, um, that I wrote my article about last week over on StarCityGames.com and that I played for the, the first time I was on Versus Live. They're just good one drops, two drops, three drops. Um, it doesn't really need cards from before. <laughs> I didn't even, I wasn't even playing History Banalia or Rekindling Phoenix in my main deck. And it just has a really nice curve. And Tajik is just the perfect card to play after playing a Swift Blade Vindicator on turn two. Oh, thank God. Tajik is a soldier and not a knight. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. And it, it is a human for modern. We'll get we'll get over that later. <laughs> so you think humans deck may have room for Tajik, huh? Oh, yeah. Um, like, they will. All right. So... The other big Boros card on our list here, coming in at number two, is Aurelia, Exemplar of Justice. 2-5, um, Flying Mentor, 2 red-white is the casting cost. At the beginning of combat on your turn, choose up to one target creature you control. Until end of turn, that creature gets plus 2, plus 0, gains Trample, and if it's red, ga sorry, gains Trample if it's red, and gains Vigilance if it's white. So obviously the Boros creatures get both Trample and Vigilance. Um, how many copies of Aurelia and Tajik have the Boros decks been running that you've seen tested? Um, I, I've been playing a full four copies of both. Well, I guess Tajik, I think I only played three. But I could definitely see wanting to play four because it's, it's pretty easy to trade off Tajik. Like, they're going to want to make sure to kill it. So I could definitely see playing four. But especially Aurelia, which is a four-mana legendary creature, you don't usually play four of your four-mana legendary creature. But Aurelia is just so strong that it's worth it. It doesn't have necessarily an enter the battlefield effect per se, which you want from your four mana creatures. But it does have an effect right away as long as you can just go to combat where you can pump up another creature. Um, so it's really good with, with uh, smaller creatures that you want to be able to get through for extra damage. You don't even have to attack with the Aurelia by itself. You can just attack with other creatures 
you know, to pump them. Or, of course, whenever it pumps itself, it's a very large creature that uh, can mentor others. This is just, um, in a, just Aurelia is just a really strong card. Same with Tajik. All these Boros cards together also, I think it's just, like, it was my pick for the strongest guild. And I think especially right away, it's going to probably be the guild that has the most success immediately. And all of these cards are just going to kind of help each other out from a finance perspective where if you're playing Aurelia's, you're going to want to be playing Tajix. If you're playing Tajix, you want to be playing Swiftblade Vindicators and Legion War Bosses and, and all those things. So they could kind of just kind of help each other out, uh, bump each other up the while people buy the deck. Right. So, I mean, we're recording September 25th. The set's not out yet. We're heading just into the pre-releases and then, of course, the release of the set uh, in a couple of weeks. So... Or sorry, is it all happening at the same time now? Set release is the same as pre-release? You can play cards in standard next Friday. Uh, the Like the 1st of October or something? Right. What day is that? Right, okay. So, I mean, Tajik's currently sitting at 350. Um, as a rare, a legendary rare, it doesn't really whet my appetite. I could see that maybe getting to 5 to 6 if the deck puts some pressure on. Um, but Aurelia, as a mythic at 10, you know... A four of Mythic in a deck that consistently performs for the first six weeks should hit 20. Yeah, I like both of them quite a bit. Um, even the 350 Legendary Creature. And the reason why I like Tajik uh, the most is really, as we'll talk about later, is because of Modern. I, I do think that this is just going to be a card in humans. Got it. You just think it's a multi-format staple. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into that in a bit. I think because if it, if it has room to run in Modern, it probably has some room to run in the relatively bad but still attempted Boros decks of Commander as well. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about the I think the the what people perceive at least as the mediocre planeswalkers um, of this set. Uh, maybe tapping into that vein with Vraska Golgari Queen. This is two black green for a four loyalty Vraska, which I think I pegged about a month ago as being the most likely form that a Vraska would take this time. Sure enough, here we go. Um, plus two loyalty, you may sacrifice another permanent. If you do, you gain a life and draw a card. So you've got the card draw template that we often see on Planeswalkers. Then the minus three is basically casting an abrupt decay that can be countered, destroying non-land permanents with converted mana cost three or less. The defensive capabilities that most people want on their Planeswalkers and constructed. And then the minus nine uh, ultimate is you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. So this card is is good, and um, I really like it because it's a Planeswalker that you kind of need to build around because you're going to want to sacrifice permanents. But there are lots of uh, permanents in the Golgari colors to uh, sacrifice. So Golgari has been the one guild that I haven't really figured out exactly what you want to do. I'm kind of leaning, like the more and more I play and see Golgari decks played, the more and more I believe that you want to be really creature heavy for the undergrowth synergies. And then, and like the creatures can be things that you'll want to throw away and Braska is good there. Now at the price tag of $13 though, this isn't really one that I'm looking to buy into, but it's not necessarily one I want to sell either. This is just kind of a, a solid card that it does have potential to go up. If somebody figures out the Golgari decks, like if they, if they get there, but this is, I feel like this is just kind of an appropriately priced planeswalker at the time. Feels to me like it's going to end up in the six to seven dollar range as a one or a two of in a deck that shows up in the occasional top eight. Yeah, I think the good the thing is is that we don't have any immediate payoff for sacrificing a creature. There's a couple of things that'll 
like give you a token when you sacrifice when it dies. We have like the new Doom Traveler in white, sort of a thing. But all the undergrowths uh, tend to have a come into play effect, not necessarily a leaves play effect. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, you know, of course, Stitcher Supplier is like the one that everybody points to. Mm-hmm. Or the janky people want to play Follow the Thran, the six mana Armageddon, and sacrifice that with your Nebraska that's already on the battlefield. But I think nice. that the, the biggest mode that's going to be used whenever Vraska enters, for the most part, is going to be that minus three to kind of to kind of clear the way. And um, I could easily see it being a four of, though, because of that, because it's just kind of four mana removal, which is good and standard. It's a four mana removal spell, but then also sticks around and can do other things. By means of segue, does the presence of Assassin's Trophy, the, I think we can all agree, de facto most important card of the set across all formats, um, does the presence of such a strong Goldery removal spell um, improve the lot for Vraska? Um, I guess it, yeah, I guess it would improve it for Vraska. I am not very high on Assassin's Trophy for standard, honestly. Interesting. Uh, I, I wouldn't have it in my top ten. Okay, so so talk to us about that. So the the um, one of the biggest parts of Assassin's Trophy that makes it really strong in Modern and Legacy is the ability to destroy a land. In standard, that doesn't really matter. So we have so we're basically looking at destroy target non-land permanent because you're it's going to be very very unlikely you're going to want to destroy a land unless there's like a search for Escanta that's transformed or something like that. So basically we're looking at a two mana removal spell, which is, which is, you know, which is obviously good, but then the opponent gets a basic land card untapped and in standard with spells that cost more mana, the extra land is usually just a big deal. Usually standard um, is kind of filled with card advantage uh, cards going back and forth. Like, you know, mid range is usually the king of standard and people having extra lands is a serious downgrade when it's over four, five, six, seven turns. They get to use that extra mana. That's that's like a really big deal. And so playing an Assassin's Trophy on turn two or turn three is just not what you want. So if you want to be using your Assassin's Trophy really late, then the fact that it only costs two mana isn't really that big a deal. So overall, I'm just I'm not super high on this card for for standard. You think it's going to see play? You just think it's not it's not going to be the card yeah, that defines of. the format. Yeah, I don't think it's like a four of in all the Golgari decks, and I don't think even every Golgari deck will play it. I think if we go towards the more creature-heavy Golgari decks that have the new uh, Fleshbag Marauder, that have um, uh, Ravenous Chupacabra, <laughs> cards like that, they may not even be playing Assassin's Trophy, because maybe they just need to only Vrass's Contempt. So I think it's like a, a removal spell that some Golgari decks will play, and maybe not necessarily as a four of, maybe some of them as a four of, but not not something that's going to define the format. All right. So there's a, a couple more green cards on this list that we should probably check in on. How about Pelt Collector as a pretty sexy looking one drop? Oh, absolutely. Pelt, Pelt Collector is very, very good. Um, so, you know, so this is one mana, for, one green mana for a one one. Whenever another creature you control enters the battlefield or dies, if that creature's power is greater than Pelt Collector's, put a plus one plus one counter on Pelt Collector. And as long as Pelt Collector has three or more plus one plus one counters on it, it has trample. So we we know about like the whenever you play you want to play on turn one you play your bigger creatures it grows the pelt collector that's just like experiment one that we've seen before the key though to pelt collector I believe is the fact that whenever the creatures die you get the one one counter as well that's going to make pelt collector not necessarily a bad top deck in the late game because in the late game you can draw it while you have your other creatures on the battlefield you can play it 
your opponent's going to have to answer your other bigger creatures like Steel Leaf Champion, Null Hide Frogs and stuff. And whenever they answer those and those die, then your Pulp Collector will grow. So I, I really like this card. It's a good one drop. It's an elf, which that, that could definitely matter here in the future. And uh, it's just another one drop for green. Right. And uh, in, a, in a format like Standard where curve is so important, um, making sure that you have high power, like um, powerful... Uh, creatures on a curve to go lead into your five foot four practically unblockable and your six six hex proof is you know that much more exciting. Yep. All right, so let's talk about Nullhide Ferox, which is the other part of that puzzle. Um, this is the six six for four hex proof creature, which your opponents can turn. I think is it two to turn off the hex proof? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, how's that card been looking in testing? Uh, just wonderful. I, so this is only an $8 Mythic right now. This is one of the best buys in the set, uh, in my opinion. So it's just a wonderful inclusion in the mono green Stompy decks. And um, and those decks will be very popular out of the gates because they're easy to build, they're easy to play, and they use a lot of cards that were in the sets before. So I really like the mono green Stompy decks out of the gates. And plus, they're also really good, that too. But I mean, a four mana six six hexproof is huge. Sure, there's things that can chump block it and all that kind of stuff, but that's just a, a huge creature. And having like whenever your opponent has to pay two just to be able to target it, if they're trying to use like a Vrasis Contempt, they're gonna have to spend six mana and stuff. It's just it's gonna be really hard to trade with this card uh, profitably, basically. And um, it's the kind of threat that you can kind of play by itself, and you don't have to play other things into sweepers. It's just an incredibly good card and it's how popular it's going to be it's definitely a four of every time you play it and how popular that the green decks will likely be i think this is a card that has a lot of potential at eight dollar buy-in to some degree it must be a you know it's an interesting foil to the downside of assassin's trophy right because the extra mana that you're potentially giving them turns two three four they know how you're now draining out of at least one of their turns as they try to deal with the null hide. Yep, absolutely. And it pairs really well with like Carnage Tyrant, which is another way to use that extra mana. So like this, Vine Mare, Carnage Tyrant, they all just kind of add together. The green deck's going to be very strong against the removal decks. So getting rid of a, an early Llanowar Elf seems like a pretty important <laughs> play as it, t as it tends to usually be when that card is in the format. Yep, and which again makes Assassin's Trophy kind of a downside. That's not the two-mana removal spell you want to use on a Land of War Elf ever. Right. Uh, so this also means Galta Primal Hunger is in play, and so is Carnage Tyrant, which you mentioned. Yep, and I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if I love Galta in the decks because it just like these other cards are already so big. I don't know if you need to go bigger because like the only things that are really going to be hurting you are the sweepers, and Galta is not good against sweepers. Um, so I'm not sure if I love Galta in these decks. Yeah. But... I but, I mean the the green decks, <clears throat> the green decks have this awesome curve of Llanowar into Steel Leaf into Nullhide into Gigantosaurus into Carnage Tyrant if you're feeling spicy, and that's just one uh, of the new sweeper and you've lost all that good stuff except for your elf. <laughs> and yep. I, and and the other thing more annoying than one hexproof six six on the table is a hexproof seven six that follows up the next turn. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's what I think. Like this hexproof, vine mare with hexproof, and carnage tyrant. I think those are just the threats you want to be playing. And then of course you have steel leaf that's really hard to block as well. All right, 
Cliff, I know you wanted to make a case for Dream Eater. I do. Come at, come, I really come at do. us. Come at us. Uh, I've already bought. Uh, I pre-ordered a set of Dream Eater at the three dollar ish price because Biased. it just seemed. It's just so good. It's so good. It is not uh, the replacement for Torrential Gear Hulk. You don't get the same quality of card replacement. You don't get the free spell. But you have a Flash creature. Uh, we're still living in Teferi's wheel world until we're proven otherwise, especially with Disdainable Stroke running around. Uh, we're getting, you get to bounce whatever you want, and you get, is it Surveil 3, if I remember four. right? Surveil 4. Oh my god, it's Surveil 4. I'm sorry, uh... I don't, I don't want to say what my reaction was to hearing Surveil 4, but it's so good in so many ways. And I just feel like at $3 for a Mythic, it's this is this is just a mistake from everybody. Wow. I, I'm going to let Todd take take that one on and, instead of jumping in. <laughs> okay. Um, I do like Dream Eater a lot. I was also one of the people that, that was high on this card. Uh, I do like it a lot. The biggest problem is, um, you know, it is a six-mana card for the blue decks basically we're kind of looking at just the uh just the control decks maybe some mid-range decks can play it as well i just don't i don't think it's going to be really played in that high of numbers in the decks that will play it like it'll be a one to two i mean maybe a three of but you know like that's about it so we don't have a lot of a ceiling here but the card is very strong so Let's talk about the, the number one standard card that was on this list. I'm not sure if it's you know actually the number one card for the format, but Doom Whisperer as a 6-6 six, six flying... Does it have Trample too? Yep. Yep. Flying Trample and then the Pay 2 Life to Surveil 2 at instant speed as many times as you can afford to. Doesn't a 6-6 six, six flying Trampler that... Sure, you get to bounce the turn after they play theirs, but then you've got a 4-3 Flyer... And they're going to come right back down with a six six and surveil along the way, isn't isn't that a problem for any four three flyer that costs six? And your point being, I mean, it I it, so yes, you're right. Uh, it does make it look bad, but you are going to get to. Uh, this is what the blue decks want to do. I don't think they want to tap out, and I think that if Teferi is going to continue to wreck, well, I don't know about wreck standard, but he's going to be playing a big part in standard. You're going to need a good flash threat. And while you're not going to get the same quality of, I'm going to play my Torrential, block your guy, and also draw two cards, or get some other counterspell back, we're not getting that level of goodness, but we are getting something that, oh, you're attacking me with it. Well, fine, get your surveils. I'm going to make you pay the mana again, or I've got my Disdainful Stroke ready. I think Disdainful Stroke is also a card that makes me really sad that Teferi's around. See, the problem is we just talked about green decks running eight giant hexproof creatures that don't mind running into this thing, um, and this can't bounce them. So Also true. There's a bunch of creatures in this format that seem to outclass this, and I'm not... It, in, in any, if it's a Demir deck that we're talking about that, that wants to run big flyers with upside, aren't they running the full contingent of Doom Whisperer before they even touch Dream Eater? My point on Dream Eater is not necessarily how everybody should be playing it. It's that it's super underpriced at three bucks. You, you're all of these points you're making are true. I just think that this is more like an eight or nine dollar card if it's seeing even moderate play. The thing is that in a set, a fall set that has five shock lands that are modern playable, um, and we are going to identify along the way here in the rest of this discussion at least five to ten cards that deserve to be five dollars or more. Uh, in the rares and mythics, I think it's going to be the, the, there. 
there has to be give in the remaining onesie twosie of sometimes cards. Fair. Uh, it's entirely yeah. possible that I'm wrong about this. We're going to find out the fun way. I'll give you this much. If somebody spike, like, spikes a top eight out of nowhere with a deck with four Dream Eaters, then you'll see an overnight spike. Well, yeah. That's a given now. I think the biggest the biggest question is if Azorius Control is going to be good enough with with and if it's going to play Dream Eater. I think that's kind of the biggest question. But I understand the logic of that replacing Torrential Gear Hulk because it is it is really good. And Flash Flash is the most underrated keyword every single preview season. If you want, if you just want to like know what card is better than people think, go to the card with Flash. That's going to be better than what people think. And, um, and is that and is that largely because control decks want to be playing at the end of their opponent's turn? That's just because playing at the end of your opponent's turn is just so strong. It's right. just it's just such a strong strategy that's been proven throughout the history of Magic. And uh, for the most part, people just kind of read Flash. It was the same thing with like Restoration Angel. People didn't really think think of anything of that card. Also at first, people just kind of read Flash uh, to begin with, and um, you know just kind of go through it like like flashes flying or trample or you know like those are all keywords we see a lot so we just kind of glaze over them since we see them a lot but the flash is incredibly incredibly strong got it all right so two last cards on our top 10 uh card cards from a financial perspective from guilds of ravnica uh march of the multitudes is the celestia card i've seen uh mentioned the most uh, at least out of the mythics as being impactful for standard has that has that come up much in your testing Todd? Absolutely. This is um, this is probably what I what I think may be the best buy at just a five dollar mythic. So, you know, the mythics aren't very cheap, and you know, Dream Eater is about as cheap as they come at the three dollars. But I absolutely love March of the Multitudes at five dollars. So, whenever I first talked about this card on the Ponder podcast, I wasn't actually that high on the card. But the more and more I thought about it and talked with other people, like you know, talking with Ross Merriam and stuff, and and us playtesting with it. I am just I'm starting to get really high on this card. So okay, let's think about Sphinx's Revelation here for a second. Because you know, like this is kind of compared to Sphinx's Revelation because the X and the three three mana. Whenever people started to first play Sphinx's Revelation, it was just a one of in the decks, whenever people would first build decks, which makes sense because you want your big splashy X spell. You probably don't want it all the time. You want maybe just like one of them. But then what we figured out over time was that the Playing a Sphinx's Revelation kind of early for like two or three just kind of helped prolong the game a little bit with the life, gave you a couple extra cards to hit your land drops, and then it set up your next Sphinx's Revelation for like four or five, which again would just kind of keep on going, set up the next one for like seven or eight, and the game's over. And I kind of feel like March of the Multitudes is the same thing, where it's not like at first we just think of it as like this big splashy X spell that you maybe want one of. But your first March of the Multitudes can just be pretty small, you know, like for two or three, just make a, make a few soldiers. And then you can use that to help make a lot more soldiers that are just going to absolutely demand an answer, um, like a sweeper of some kind. If your opponent doesn't have it, they're probably going to end the game. But then and again, they can kind of just compound once you have your first couple, especially since they're instant speed. If your opponent uh, doesn't have the sweeper right away, you may be able to end the game. But even if they do, you can play it at instant speed after their sweeper, like your next one, because you're going to have more mana because you're just prolonging the game with these lifelink things. So I think that this card is the kind of card that lets you just pull ahead a little bit. Like maybe the first one lets you stabilize, the next one lets you kind of pull ahead a little bit, and the the next, the third one just put puts you way far ahead. 
So I think this is really going to be a card that's going to be a three or a four of once people start figuring that out. And so a mythic that's going to be a three or four of in a really strong guild, Selesnya is a very strong guild. Um, this is a card I'm really excited about. So what I'm here, I mean, we didn't actually say what it does. It's X green, double white, instant, convoke, create X one one white soldier creature tokens with lifeline. So your point here is that the first one, you maybe get two tokens, but maybe you've got one or two other creatures on the battlefield. And then by the time you go get around to casting the second or the third copy, you're making, you know, four, six, eight tokens. Yeah. And you're just making a ton of tokens. They're instant speed. They're lifelink. There's a ton of ways to pump up tokens in Selesnya also. So they're not just necessarily one ones. Um, yeah. And so I think this is the kind of card that is a really big payoff. That's not only just a very late game card. It's also a card you want to play in the mid game as well. And I guess one of the things probably people are probably missing is that it's not just making a bunch of creatures. The fact that these creatures have lifelink and can block right away means that if you do this in the middle of combat, you could really mess with some math, right? Yep, absolutely. And um, and besides like the like some ways to pump up creatures, um, I think this works incredibly well with one of the, another like underrated card from the set right now, uh, Venerated Loxodon, where Venerated Loxodon is four and a white that also has Convoke for a 4-4 that whenever it enters the battlefield it puts a 1-1 counter on each creature that convoked it you can with other creatures in play you can pretty easily play march of the multitudes for four and then use your four and another one mana to play venerated luxodon that automatically makes them all two two twos puts one counters on them and having four two two life linkers that's just really big game right now um quick question that i wasn't clear on can i convoke like six creatures to cast that Loxodon? Um, yes. So I, yeah. uh, I well, can use the Loxodon yeah. to give counters to as many creatures as I tap. I would, well, okay, so you can, so you can, you can convoke as many creatures as what it costs. You can't, you cannot, you cannot convoke more creatures, but you, yeah. you are able to convoke for the white mana, so you don't necessarily need to have the extra white mana, but no, you can only do five. You okay. can't do more. Unless yeah. you have a way to make it cost more. So at maximum, you're putting five plus one plus one counters on the table. Correct. Yeah, got it. Okay, um, so the last one on this list is a pretty exciting little goblin. Legion Warbox looks pretty nasty. Yep, this is just a really strong card. I've heard people think that it's um, that they're underwhelmed by it because it's not Goblin Rabble Master. It's sure. different, of course, <laughs> but some people think that since whenever War Boss attacks itself it doesn't necessarily trade up really well because it's attacking as a 2-2 that it's not as strong of a card but every game I've, I've seen it or played it it's just been really good it's kind of like a uh, rabble master in the fact that it can sit on the the battlefield you make your your tokens that your opponent just kind of blocks for a little bit and that's fine but while you're doing that while they have to sit back and focus on defense for that you're able to deploy other things and eventually be able to crash in and, and have the goblin still be pretty impactful because then whenever you attack you'll be able to mentor onto a goblin but it's just a very very good uh three drop um it's it's going to be very impactful in standard it's going to be just one of the you know premier threats in standard it's it's not goblin rabble master but it's it's still very good got it all right, so to sum up standard, it sounded like the cards we were highest on to potentially see gains were Tajik Legion's Edge at 350 as potentially a double up. I'm assuming March of the Multitudes, you'd think that it might be able to hit 10. 
Nelhide Ferox is a little higher already at 8, but maybe it could hit 15 or 20 if it is a persistent 4 of. And Aurelia Exemplar of Justice is probably in the same boat as Ferox, where if it maintains 3 or 4 of status and Boros is, is a sticky deck in the format, it could also bust over 20 at some point. Yep, that sounds right. Okay. Um, actually, I didn't get a, a final tally from you on Doom Whisper. Are there going to be Doom Whisper decks running 4 copies? Yeah, I think most of the the Doom Whisperer, Whisperer decks will be running four copies. Uh, you know, maybe you know maybe three, I like the minimum. But it's just such a good card. And the thing is, is it's going to be in a lot of different decks. It's not like the kind of card where Nullhide, like I guess Nullhide Frox will be in different decks too. That's not a good example. But like March of the Multitudes is probably going to be in the same kind of deck. For even even though March of the Multitudes could be a four of, it's in like the one deck. Doom Whisperer will be in a lot of different decks. You know, whether it's Blue Black or Golgari or Soulty or there will be lots of different decks with Doom Whisper. How good has Surveil been overall in testing? Really impressive. Really impressive. Um, Is it it's the just, best keyword? It's just, be- yeah, it's it's the best keyword, and it's just like a, a better Scry. We know how good Scry is, and Surveil is just better. All right. And then Convoke, would that be your second pick? Or Mentor? Close. I like both of those two a lot. Close. Okay. Maybe Convoke. Probably Convoke as just the individual keyword that's stronger. But the thing about all of the mentor creatures is they have so much text in, on these Boros cards. Yeah, right. But Convoke being a mana reduction uh, ability has always proven to be uh, near the tipping point of Broken. Yep. And before we move on to Modern, I have like uh, two other cards that I just want to talk about Go for as it. cards that I think are just criminally inexpensive right now um the first one is find finality which is the golgari split card with the half of it being a two mana raise dead two cards and then the other part being six mana where you can put two one one counters on a creature you control and then all creatures get minus four minus four right that card I was looking at uh, TCG Player today, and it's only twenty five cents, and there are tons and tons and tons of copies of it at twenty five cents. But it's the kind of card that I think could be a four of in some different decks, and it's incredibly good. And I think it's going to be a, at the very least, a good sideboard option for these green decks that are going to be very popular. I think it's a like whenever the green decks are playing against the sweeper decks, it's kind of the perfect card to bring in where it's just two mana get two of my hexproof things back. That's <laughs> That's going to be a really good sideboard option. Um, the Golgari decks that are going to be very creature heavy, it's the perfect kind of card in there, especially those decks are a little slower. They want some more sweepers against like the Boros decks. The finality part half does a good job there. This this is definitely going to be, this is a very good card, and it's going to be an impactful standard card, and it's a rare, and it's 25 cents. That's just a card you should pick up. Right, so even if you're just going to be playing with it, it's a no-brainer to have it in your standard collection. Right. Yeah, that's just yeah, that's just a no-brainer to pick up. Um I don't know like how exactly how much upside it has or anything, but that that's just a card to pick up. And then yeah. the other one um that I want to talk about is Experimental Frenzy. So right now this is 75 cents over on TCG Player, and this is a card that I could see hitting $5 honestly. This card is ridiculous. I would have this uh probably as my number 6 card in the set. Um interesting on my list. Uh, after yeah this so this is three in a red for an enchantment that says you may look at the top card of your library at any time you may play the top card of your library you can't play cards from your hand and you can pay four mana to destroy it okay so basically what this does is this allows the red decks to have a card advantage engine 
that's nothing like they've ever seen before. This is like Outpost Siege on steroids. steroids. Yeah. Yeah. The first time that I cast this, I played four cards off the top of my library the first turn. I, um, <laughs> yeah, untapped with six mana. I played a one drop, a three drop, a land, because you can play lands. You get to play lands, played a land, and then played uh, a burn spell. So I did all that the first turn. Um, but, <clears throat> and then my next turn, I did the same thing, played three, three new cards. Basically, you get to play cards until you hit two lands, because you can only play one land a turn. Or until you run out of mana. So you get to do that every single turn. So whenever you're a low curved red aggro deck um, with a low land count, you get to play a ton of cards every single turn. This is just like the perfect uh, curve topper. It's going to be in basically every red aggro sideboard at the very least. I also think there's just going to be main uh, red aggro decks built around it. In fact, on th- uh, on Thursday on versus Live, I'm playing a mono red aggro deck with uh, kind of built around experimental frenzy with it at the top end. Nice. It works really well with uh, Steamkin Boss, um, which is the red creature that, that can add mana whenever, like whenever you play spells, it gets counters, and after the whenever you have, you can remove three counters to uh, add three red mana, so you can add extra mana to play more spells off the top of your library. Oh, Runaway Steamkin. Runaway Steamkin. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah I thought I didn't think I had that name right. Run, Runaway Steamkin. <laughs> yeah. Experimental yeah, frenzy is just a. a just a great card and i could see it just kind of appearing in tons of different decks um and being a five dollar card because it could just be like a really important sideboard card in the, the format there's a couple of things that to, that i have to say on this topic a my eyes lit up when i saw it because it reminded me of one of my near a spec that's near and dear to my heart my 100 plus copies of aggressive mining that are still rotting in my box of shame <laughs> Uh, another much better <laughs> another red spell um that you need to bend over backwards to to break one of the things i think is interesting here is that as you said you get to start you get the benefits immediately and yes you you lock some cards in hand but because you're in red you may not have very many of those anyway and they gave you the out of being able to destroy it yourself for four which i think is actually a little surprising um yeah. i bet the first template of this card you couldn't get rid of it yeah, that's probably true. And I don't really imagine having to use that very often, but um, I did see it come up one time uh, with Ross playing it in a Goblin's deck, but it, it did look really great in, in the Goblin deck. He, he just kind of got stuck with a uh, um, oh, a five drop in his, like, as his draw step that he wanted to play the next turn. But any, anyway, so yeah, so basically how the normal play pattern kind of goes on this card is, um, you know, you get to play cards and play your first land a turn until you hit that second land, and then you can't play anymore. But then the next turn, you're just going to draw that second land, which just doesn't matter that it's stuck in your hand. And then again, you get to continue the next turn of play every spell you can until you hit two lands or run out of mana. And that's just for red. Like this will really kind of represent three to four to five cards every single turn, include you know, including the lands that you're playing off the top of your library. And I just think that's incredibly powerful and this card's very good Wait, do the boros decks have reason to run it oh absolutely yeah i had it as a three of in my sideboard and it was incredible and and you're bringing it in against like grindy can mid-range control decks that are like grinding you out of cards getting rid of all your early threats and you want to re- reboot the board absolutely yep so all the decks that are like kind of removal heavy um or they're going to gum up the ground basically the, the decks that want to go longer then you can bring an experimental frenzy, uh, especially in the Boros kind of decks, because you don't have a lot of great mana seeks in Boros. Some of the creatures have pump abilities, but that's kind of about it. So whenever you kind of empty your hand, you're kind of done. 
that's the perfect kind of deck for exper experimental frenzy. It's just the last card you play, um, but it's it's also good where it's not the kind of card that's great um, when you're defensive, you know. So you don't really want it in your mid range deck where you could kind of be behind and you don't really want to take the turn to play it. So, it, but I, I do think just all the red aggro decks, this is the card that's going to kind of bring them back, and so that includes Boros, includes any other uh, red color. It's it's just a wonderful card. Is there any world where we see this pop up in some weird deck in modern in the hands of Zach Elsick or Sam Black at some point? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't even think it really has to be that weird of a deck. I could I could definitely see this just being played in, like, if you're playing, like, you know, a Red Devotion or, or something, or, like, a little bit bigger of a Red Aggro deck, this this is kind of the, the thing if you want to just play, like, a bunch of Burn Spells and then be able to play all your Burn Spells from the top of your library. Um, yeah, this, this is not very far off of modern play whatsoever. Interesting. All right, so let's transition then into our discussion uh, on cards for modern. One of the ones, first ones that jumped out at me as being a weird one people were probably going to undervalue was an uncommon called Creeping Chill. This is a sorcery for three and a black, and it says Creeping Chill deals three damage to each opponent and you gain three life. But it also says when Creeping Chill is put into your graveyard from your library, you may exile it, and if you do, Creeping Chill deals three damage to your opponent and you gain three life. And so... Where my mind goes is that if I can somehow get all four of these out of my deck and into my graveyard, then it's a 24-point life swing. Yeah, or 16? Or wait, no, 12. 12. Well, 12. I gain 12, and they lose 12. Right, okay, I see, I see. <laughs> yeah, so you have to do some really hard milling for this. Um, some really hard self-milling. Is it a dredge card? Is it a dredge card? I don't think modern dredge, because maybe legacy dredge they get to they get to really mill a ton i don't know it, the problem with with putting this kind of card in your dredge deck is it's not like your dredge deck you want to be filled with um like either dredgers or like the things that will win the game like whenever you dredge them and this doesn't really win the game it kind of deals a little bit of damage but I'm not sure it does, great. I don't, I don't really whatever see one singular world where this really enters into And it's an uncommon, which is currently bridge. 15 cents. Foils are already at four, so somebody thinks that it's it's that's a huge multiplier. <laughs> one of the biggest, one of the, you know, somebody thinks it's going to be a thing in an older format. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced on the card, and I certainly yeah, so, so tend to recommend people focus on you know multi-deck staples before they ever look at these kind of weird cards, but. Just the kind of if it was a rare or mythic, I'd be a little more excited. Yeah, I like experimental frenzy and Jund much more than creeping chill in any deck. All right. Okay, so next on our list, we have Unmoored Ego. This is a card currently at $2.50 with a whopping 10 times multiplier at 25 on the basis that people think this is going to be some kind of Tron fighter in modern, uh, a theme we've seen applied to numerous cards uh, as of late. Todd, what do you think about Unmoored Ego for modern? Well, I think it's okay, and it will see a little bit of play. I don't think it's nearly as good as what a lot of people believe it is. So, yeah, as you're saying, it's Tron hate. That's what people want to do. They want to be able to cast this and say, like, Urza's Tower and then win the game against Tron. They're like, all right, I took all your Urza's Towers. You can't win anymore. But that's not really how games of magic work. The Tron players will still just be able to play lots of other lands, still be able to cast their spells. 
I think because of this card to a very small extent, but mostly because of Assassin's Trophy, if that card takes off, Prawn is going to adapt and maybe not play as many eights and tens, especially after board and play a lot more fours and fives that uh, they'll still just be able to, you know, after you spend three mana on this card, they'll still just be able to play a couple more lands and play some more threats and be kind of fine. So while this card will, you know, it gets a lot of press and it'll likely see a decent amount of play right away. I don't think it's nearly as strong as what people think it is. And also the fact that it's blue black and there's not a whole lot of blue black decks around right now. It's not a card I'm very excited about. Yeah, this isn't a card you're going to throw into your Death Shadow uh, Grixis deck. <laughs> no, not at all. And, and am I correct in assuming this is a mostly going to be a sideboard card when it's used? Yeah, a sideboard that's like, uh, you know, one or a two of maybe. So I, I don't like this foil at over 20 at all. I, I want to see this foil come down closer to five before I care at all. Preach. Yeah. All right. So this next card I like, though, and I'm curious to see what you guys think. Mausoleum Secrets is the instant speed demonic tutor wannabe that can go get cards um, as an instant, but they have to be black, and you can only get them if their converted mana cost is equal to the number or less than the number of creatures in your graveyard. Could this show up in some kind of weird combo deck or perhaps show up in a Death Shadow deck in modern time? Um, so I think it would probably be some kind of combo deck. I'm not exactly sure where we're going to see this, and this is the kind of card that um, I don't think we're going to see right away in the format, but you know, a few years down the the line whenever maybe some other cards are printed and people just kind of remember this card and start brewing with it maybe we'll see it but this isn't something that's going to impact the format right away so i wouldn't expect it to grow but all right if we're looking at it from like death shadow two mana is quite a bit for that deck but all you do need is just any creature in your deck and then you can go find fatal push the otzis uh and death shadow or once you have like three creatures you can go find liliana you need a lot of creatures for gurmag angler but <laughs> um you can also find assassin's trophy okay yeah or, or abrupt or abrupt decay yeah that's depending on that's what true deck you're playing. it just doesn't like so maybe one of them to be able to find those different things but most likely not you'll probably just want to play more of the other stuff because the times that it's a dead card is just not going to be very good um where i could maybe see this happening if we're thinking about some kind of combo deck is i could maybe see something going on with gorio's vengeance now, I don't really know exactly what that's going to be, but Gory's Vengeance cares about creatures in your graveyard to be able to reanimate. This cares about creatures in your graveyard, and you only need two to go find Gory's Vengeance. So there could be some kind of graveyard deck with this and Gory's Vengeance, but I'm not really liking it with like Grishel Brand, because Grishel Brand, you don't play very many creatures at all. And so maybe something more along like the Esper lines, like the Esper Gory's Vengeance decks with Obsidot and Jay's Friends Prodigy. And those kind of cards to be able to get some more creatures in your deck. Yeah, and uh, keep in mind, uh, as the every time that they give us a fixed version of something, fixed is a non-subtle way of saying that the original is too good, and that this fixed version is going to be more fair. Like this is up there with like beseech the queen in terms of uh, conditional tutoring. Wow, be beseech the queen costs a lot more than this. The, the oh, thing that's got my two attention mana here versus is three. Sure, but that's a big deal in modern. And and instant instant speed tutor just smells like success at some point down the road. And if it the thing I like about the foils once they get to a reasonable number, because I definitely don't like them at eighteen, um, is that commander is going to want this card for sure because there's all sorts of crazy 
stuff shenanigans you can get up to in in commander you got a longer game period you got deeper graveyards cards like decks like Muldratha can put this to use no problem yeah but you can still only find the black cards let's let's not let's not go crazy it's very conditional and it has a setup cost i'm not saying it's not good i'm just saying that i I don't really like it when you use the word demonic tutor that's not Close to hey, Demonic Tutor is a sorcery, so it's, sure, it's at least it's got that worse. Yeah, it's worse. Whatever, dude. Yeah, so this will take some time for people to figure out exactly what to do with it. All right, so here's one that's even more sketchy. Um, the split card that caught my eye is one where that may as well only have one side. Connive and Concoct. The left side that I don't care about is two blue-black, blue-black hybrid. Gain control a target creature with power two or less. Okay. Um, but the other side is much more interesting. Concoct says three blue blacks, surveil three, then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. This thing can put an Emrakul that Eon's torn in play because of the way that trigger resolves. That's true, but still, like we have Goryo's Vengeance that can bring back Emrakul, and that's probably an easier thing to do with at only costing two mana, where you can just have like Bathos Looting, and then that, um, you know, for three mana. Five is a ton in modern like when you're playing paying five mana you should be playing something like teferi hero of dominaria or you know something incredible through the breach you know this is like you know we do have through the breach in the format where you just need the emerald in your hand and you can kind of put it on the battlefield for a little bit i don't know i'm pretty skeptical about this one especially given that you're in the colors you're talking about here don't have any ramp potential right. in, in the format at all so and five mana do something that hopefully works out is not really where you want to be in the format. No, not really. So the foils are currently at four. Those are the ones I'd be looking at. I'm hoping they're going to get down closer to two on the basis that this does nothing in standard and doesn't take off anywhere in modern, at which point they're pretty interesting for EDH because eventually there'll be all sorts of crazy things you can do in that format with the card. Oh, yeah, EDH, you can do a ton of things. And then even with EDH, the the first mode is probably a lot more important of like taking in Oracle and Moldaya or uh, do people like Dark Confidant in EDH maybe? Take well, you that. can steal people's commanders. and Yeah, steal their commanders that are power two or less. Yeah, for sure. Every one of these words makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about one of the cards that is probably being most uh, misevaluated. Um, Mission Briefing is the two blue instant uh, surveil two and then gives you the Snapcaster ability where you can replay an instant or sorcery out of your graveyard and then it gets exiled. What's your, What's your take on this, Todd? Okay, I, I got a hot take on this one. <laughs> it's going to see basically no play in any constructed format. Well, right. maybe EDH, but not in standard or modern. Wow. Right. And so the, the, the bottom line here is that trading 2-1 and a flash creature that can come in and start putting the game away is too much of a sacrifice for having something, you know, that acts as the fifth to eighth copies of that card. Yeah, I mean, it's just like blue, blue is really tough. And so most of the decks that you're playing Snapcaster and you're playing, you know, multicolor decks, because a lot of the spells you're flashing back are not blue spells where they're usually flashing back like removal spells and stuff like that. Uh, burn spells. So blue, blue is pretty tough. And then Surveil 2, it, well, that's OK. That's nowhere near as good as a 2-1. What makes Snapcaster Mage so powerful is it's a card that ends the game by attacking, you know, like. When you're stuck on mana, you can just throw your 2-1 out there that starts being down. This one, I guess, if you have your UU, you can use it to just find a land for a land drop, I guess. But no, I want that 2-1. I, 
I just don't think this is a, a very strong card in, in general. And um, it's a wonderfully designed card, though, because this is the kind of card that is very splashy looking and it gets people excited and, uh, you know, gets people wanting to buy the set and everything. Like, so it's a wonderfully de- designed card, but I don't really expect this to have much of an impact once people start playing with it and realize, uh, this card's not that good. And, uh, yeah, so I'm um, definitely a sell, probably the, probably my biggest sell in the entire set. It's at $8 and $40 for foils. You see a nosedive coming in the near future? Absolutely. Especially those foil prices. All right. So let's move on to Legion Warboss's role in resurrecting goblins for modern. Is this a thing? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, we're kind of looking at like what's going to be the next new tribe after uh, humans and then spirits as like these breakout decks. Uh, I guess you could count constructs if you count hardened skills affinity. So that's all constructs. But anyway, yeah, goblins could be the next uh, new tribe. They've really gained a lot over the last few sets. And Legion Warboss is is a nice upgrade in that deck over Goblin Rabble Master, honestly. The problem with Goblin Rabble Master for that deck is it does force all your goblins to attack. And when your opponent has creatures and you have like some smaller goblins, you don't necessarily want them to attack. And that's that clause is a huge downside where Legion Warboss doesn't necessarily have that. I also ex- expect Legion Warboss to see um, a decent amount of play in other decks that aren't necessarily just goblin theme, even just green-red aggro decks um, that I've been playing before, where you can put it with Collected Company, where you have it and Rabble Master as good, like aggressive, like a, an aggressive Collected Company deck that has uh, mana creatures as well. So you can use Birds of Paradise, for example, to get this out on already on uh, turn two. And so you have eight copies of good turn two threats, like even with like a noble hierarchy, you get the exalted trigger right away or with um, Bloodbraid Elf as really good hits off of Bloodbraid Elf, where you just have a lot of good threes between this and Rabble Master. So it just gives you a higher density of those three mana high impact cards. And um, I'm pretty excited about it. So is it fair to say that part of the lineage of this deck potentially staging a comeback is the inclusion of Skirk Prospector and Goblin Warchief in Dominaria? Absolutely. And much more Skirk Prospector than Legion or than uh, um, Warchief. Yeah, than Goblin Warchief. Sorry. Um, Goblin Warchief isn't isn't actually nearly it's it's not like real great even in legacy goblins or or with modern. I'm not super excited about that card, but Skirk Prospector absolutely um with the sacrifice ability to be able to add mana for the deck. That's just an awesome card. So um, that's a very underrated card. It's a very unassuming card. And uh, but no, like that's definitely gonna be a big part of Goblin's deck. And of course, if this thing ever stages a comeback, we can assume that Goblin Pile Driver will be an auto included four of and a whole nother generation of magic players are going to get to experience the pleasure of getting hit upside the head by a single goblin for seven to nine damage. <laughs> yep absolutely absolutely yeah. so i mean looking at foils of that might be a reasonable thing to do given that they don't really see play in formats like commander so there's probably some origins foils sitting around pretty cheap at the moment yeah that's a good point um all right so let's move on to uh runaway steamkin and its role potentially in a new form of aggro deck uh in modern talk to me about how this card you think fits into the puzzle Okay, so I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do with this card yet, but it's one in a red for a 1-1 whenever you cast a red spell. So any red spell, if Runaway Steamkin has fewer than three plus one plus one counters on it, put a plus one plus one counter on it, and then you may remove three one one counters on it to add three red mana. So you don't necessarily have to do that. So you can just kind of build it up to a 4-4 if you want and keep it as a two mana 4-4. Four four. 
or you know you can add the red man if you need to so the the modern deck that i've seen so far is um a deck that can win on turn one or turn two um i don't really want to say pretty reliably but can <laughs> win on those with uh using pact of the <laughs> titan and goblin bushwhackers and stuff to give your creatures haste and <laughs> bushwhackers a nasty card yeah it, it really is and so and it, so it does have the ability to kill on turn one um so that's possible, but I could also just see it in just kind of like a red aggro deck with like uh, the like the zoo, like basically the Bushwhacker zoo decks, like with Burning Tree Emissary, stuff like that, where you can kind of play a lot of red spells in a row. I also think this is going to be just an impactful standard card, but I'm not exactly sure how much to, to note. Uh, Jerry Thompson did have this as his number two card in the set for standard behind Tajik Legion's Edge. So you know, I, I do think that. And so, you know, he's obviously a very smart guy and I believe him that they're this card strong and there's something here. This could be just like the new two drop for mono red aggro and standard. Also, there's a lot of like this. This card could stay here, but there's also a lot of potential for this card to grow as well. It's also been, I think, probably Theros block was the last time mono red wasn't any good. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a pretty strong chance that we're going to see red decks, whether oh. they're Boros or mono. Um, Goblin Chain Roller is still a card, and there's also some other component pieces in play. Um, I'm not super excited about the non-foils in, in the $3 range, but foils at 6 if it's going to be a modern card, could easily be a thing. Well, Theros Block also had Idol on a Great Revel. I think I think Mono Red was still good then. Wasn't it mostly like like blue blue Devotion and Black Devotion for six months around that time? Yeah, but there, there was a red deck, and it was I guess it was once Konzatark here got printed and brought Monastery Swift Spear to add oh, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's when that, it really took off. But Yeah, that deck was good. Yeah. All right, so talk to me about Tajik Legion's Edge in modern humans. You know, humans posted up maybe a year and a half ago. People were pretty skeptical, and yet here we are many months later, and humans regularly top eights in the format. Easily could be considered a, a tier one deck and one of the pillars of the format at this point. We get new humans all the time. Is there even room in that deck for this card? Absolutely, and it's kind of scary. Tajik Legion Deads is a great card, and I think it's going to uh, slot very nicely into humans. So, yeah, it was just—it was actually just exactly a year ago that humans broke out onto the scene into modern, because that's when uh, a year ago was the last fall set whenever we had Unclaimed Territory and Kite Sail Freebooter enter the format, which uh, took that deck over the edge, but Right. Um, mm -hmm. back, back to Tajik uh, so you know it's a 3 mana card so if we think about the 3 mana creatures in humans we have Manus Rider and Reflector Mage that are auto includes those those are good those are good to go but there's always been a couple other you're not necessarily 4 other but a couple other uh, slots for 3 drops where we've seen stuff like um, Thalia Heretic Athar we've seen Kessig Malcontents and the new hot thing um, for a while was well they should be over oh what Thank you, Militia Bugler, um, which people have cooled down on Militia Bugler and, and gone back to the other two options. But I think Tajik Legion's Edge is probably the best option out of all of those cards. And so I think this is going to be a two or a three of in humans uh, in that slot. So, you know, how many copies you have for it? Maybe two because it's legendary. I'm sure Cedric will be happy to see the Bugler get kicked to the curb in favor of Tajik. Yeah, well, the, the Bugler has been basically kicked to the curb for the most part now the last like month or month and a half or so uh people aren't really playing bugler anymore and cedric oh he likes to gloat about it that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> all 
So yeah. $15 foils for Tajik for mo- a modern two of, and eh, not that excited. I mean, um, Thalia Heretic Cathar is a good comparison from Eldritch Moon, which is a set that should have more price momentum because it's not a fall set. And the foils for that card um, haven't done any better. Well, there was a, Tajik she was the buy a box, right? There's a promo version of her running around. I'm not sure if it was. True. true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, although, that's a good point. Although we could easily see a promo Tajik, right? Yeah. yeah, we could. We could. But also, Tajik has, especially in the short term, Tajik has a lot of room to grow because of standard as well. Um, so I'm actually kind of liking that foil at 15 because um, humans is just such a popular deck. So I, I kind of like it, but I don't think it's so basically that, that's not usually these foils. We just think they're going to just drop a ton, you know, like basically all of them, you know, across the board. That's just what happens with with uh, sets whenever they're released. But I don't really hate that that price for Tajik. And I think I don't think it's going to grow a ton, but I, I think that's a perfectly respectable price for a foil Tajik. This is actually one of the only cards on our list today where I like the non-foils better than the foils because I think the the non-foils doubling up into a buy list out where you pick up 20 copies or something as close to 250 as you can and aim to get $5 out of a 450 or $5 out of a buy list if the card gets hot is probably more likely than the foils doubling in the same period of time. Yeah, that's that's definitely very fair. So what what the card does for humans i guess to to kind of say so you know it has haste which you know another three drop with haste that's awesome we we've seen the power of mantis rider um a lot of the times whenever mantis rider attacks it's like right away on turn two where even though it has flying there may not necessarily be other blockers anyway so the fact that tajik doesn't have flying isn't necessarily that huge of a downside it's obviously you know not having flying is, is rough, but the mentor ability is going to be really strong with humans because there's a lot of smaller creatures. You have things like kite sail freebooter in the air. That's a nice target to get bigger or just uh, your other random two twos that you have in the deck, two ones and two twos. Those are all very good. Plus whenever you, you use, um, Thalia's, uh, Thalia's Lieutenant to be able to grow Tajik to make it a four, three, it makes it even easier to mentor <laughs> onto other things. Yeah, that's nice. Yep. Um, and then uh, the the big clause here, like, so that's just a really nice human. But then the big clause is the prevent all non-combat damage that they would be dealt to other creatures you control. This means that they have to, like, if they're a Lightning Bolt deck, which, by the way, Lightning Bolt is the most played card in Modern, so they're probably a Lightning Bolt deck, then um, they're going to have to target the Tajik. It, it's just going to have a Lightning Rod on its head. They have to target it before they can target anything else. And that is wonderful for a deck like Humans, that has so many important creatures for the battlefield, so many disruptive creatures while they're on the battlefield. You want your kite sail freebooter to stay on the battlefield. You want your meddling mage. Uh, you want Master Rider still be able to, able to deal damage in the air and everything. Thalia um, Guardian of Thraben is a, a nice card that slows people down, that you want that on the battlefield. So the fact that Tajik basically protects all your other creatures from Lightning Bolt <coughs> is a huge, huge deal. And don't even get me started if you get to like your opponent cast an anger of the gods and you have an ether vial and you get a vial to send. Don't even get me started of, of how that's going to go. <laughs> it's also pretty nice that your two drops, the ones that you mentioned, Meddling Mage and, and Kitesail Freebooter, um, can get rid of or name Lightning Bolt. And then Tajik comes in and prevents, like, even if they get rid of the card some other way, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they can be locked out this way or that way. And yeah. Clearly, the thing that has put the humans tribe over, he- over over the edge versus other things like, say, Merfolk or whatever other tribal stuff was in the format was just the interplay of disruptive elements. 
along the curving path, the aggro path that it, the, the deck can already present. So it's like we're on curve for aggro, but we're still disrupting without having to sacrifice any of our aggro potential. Yep. So it's definitely going to be a modern card, I think. And it's it's pretty scary because humans is already pretty good. So I'm kind of scared right. of this card. All right. So it, if we have to had to say the card that could have been named Todd Stevens pet, <laughs> what card comes to mind? What, what is our number two this week? For modern? <laughs> It's got to be Night of Autumn. <laughs> what, I, I, wanna, I want the screen cap of what your face did when you saw this card for the first time. Uh, I had to read it over a couple of times. I was like, really? That's It's just better than Reclamation Sage? <laughs> really? <laughs> and is it better than Kitchen Finks for where, in, in instances where you want that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. So this is just this is just perfect for uh, my green-white company sideboard. I like to call this card the Swiss Autumn Night. Oh, nice. Nicely done. Very nice. Yeah. So we're looking at one green and white for a 2 1. Whenever it ETBs, you get to choose one. You can either put two plus one plus one counters on it. Hopefully, I'll never do that ever in my life. Or you can destroy an artifact or enchantment or gain four life. So this is so basically every deck that plays um, Reclamation Sage, which is a lot in modern that also has white in their colors is just going to replace Reclamation Sage with Night of Autumn. Um, for Green White Company in particular, I think this is an awesome card and it it really it's it's it makes me really excited to play Green White Company again the first weekend that this is legal. So this is why. So Green White Company is actually not good against burn basically. Um, sure, you have four Corsair Crucifix in the main deck, and so people see that and just think that you're good against Burn because you have Corsair Crucifix. Well, while Corsair itself is very good against Burn, and the games you have like Corsair on turn two are awesome, or maybe on turn three, um, you you know those are very good games. You you probably win those games. Every game you don't have Corsair Crucifix is really hard to win because um, your deck's not very good at attacking. It's slow. Burn just has more time to draw more Burn spells and finish you off. Right, they, so, can, they can just go to the dome while you're dicking around. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and so I've always needed like some more sideboard slots for burn, but I've never wanted more sideboard slots for burn because they're you know, they're modern's just such a a wide format, and the cards that are usually good against burn aren't good anywhere else. You know, if I'm playing Kitchen Finks for burn, Kitchen Finks isn't really good against other decks. It's it's not it's not good enough for for modern in 2018. Um, it's like if I'm playing like Blessed Alliance for Burn, that's like the one I usually would do. It's okay against Death Shadow, I guess, but it's it's not great. So Night of Autumn gives me an ability to still have Reclamation Sage in my deck, where I was, I was already playing two Reclamation Sages. I can play those two Reclamation Sages and also have extra cards against Burn. So it's, it's just absolutely perfect. That's that's a, a huge deal for whenever I need more cyborg cards with decks like Blue White Control uh, up and everything. So freeze up sideboard slots it's a huge deal absolutely love this card just the fact that you said four three for three mana is the mode you want the least is really indicative <laughs> of the, the versatility yeah i mean you'll uh, were you playing reclamation sage uh main deck or in the sideboard i was playing two in the sideboard but then i also do a a Something in my sideboard that I, I really like that I haven't really seen other people adapt at all. But I always play one Eldritch Evolution in my sideboard mm. so that I can turn my mana creatures into my very important sideboard cards that are like three mana uh, like it and like Eidolon of Rhetoric 
and Kataki and cards like that. So I'm basically playing an extra copy of all of all of my sideboard cards. Nice. Yeah. And with just like one spell, it can be all of them. And and it's like I don't want a ton of Eldritch Evolutions or anything like that. Like I don't want to turn into an Eldritch Evolution deck, but the first copy is is awesome. And so so basically I would I would even with that, I was still playing two Reclamation Sages plus the Eldritch Evolution. So I'll basically kind of have like three copies of this Knight of Autumn in my sideboard for the burn matchup. I, I, I got to wonder whether given the versatility of the card, if you're playing against Hardened Scales Affinity, are you taking out the Hardened Scales or one of the like what is, what's the target on your average board against that deck? Yeah, mostly, uh, mostly um, hardened scales. Like you want to get that off the off the table because you otherwise the they'll just off. yeah they'll they'll just be able to um, grow their walking blister like way too much or anything. Our, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of a tough matchup. But yeah, you you need to get hardened scales off the the battlefield. A good rule of thumb in whenever you have discard, whenever you have removal, when you have any any of that kind of stuff, you have something that can deal with the card that the deck is named after do that <laughs> fair fair so knight of autumn is it a two of sideboard card in in value tam yep that's what that's where i'm going to start with a two of sideboard card i don't think it's good enough for the main deck well it's good enough for the main deck but i don't think the metagame is at where i really want it in the main deck yet i could see playing in the main deck as a way to uh destroy even like the, the, the destroy artifact clause um, is good against humans and spirits. So it's very close to main deck, but um, where I'm going to start with it is as the two of in the sideboard. So my take then is given that you can get these for, you know, people are pretty excited about this card and no, everybody is aware it's good. But my concern at the current price, foils are at 30, non-foils at 450. The foils especially seem egregious to me, given that if it's a two of in the side in the sideboard of a deck that really only Todd Stevens plays, um, <laughs> the... And mo- it's also a two of in every sideboard for humans. They, ah, every, right, 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 right. Every human sideboard play two Reclamation Sages. They're all going to play two Knight of Autumns. Thank you. Thank so you, I man. think that so I think all the humans players realize that they need two of this, and that's why the foil price is high. The humans players have not realized they need two Tajiks, and so that foil price is is lower. I think that these two are going to have a pretty similar foil price tag. When I think like the Knight of Autumns going down, Tajik maybe going up a little bit once uh, the dust settles. That makes sense to me. So yeah, I forgot about the humans interaction. The fact they don't even care that it's a human because it just does so much work. Right. Humans was already playing two reclamation stages because they just need to destroy cards like ensnaring bridge and worship. Right. Like those are two those are cards they need to kill. And uh Reclamation Sage is the best at doing at getting rid of both of those. And now Knight of Autumn is just gonna trump it. Right. And they just need the maximum number of cyborg slots that can still be biled in. Yep. Just like everybody else. Got yep. it. All right. So uh, Assassin's Trophy, we already talked about it for for standard. This is a much bigger deal in modern, right? Oh, yeah. This is where, like like I talked about before, I didn't like it for standard, but for modern, absolutely, it's a much bigger deal for a bunch of reasons. The biggest reason, of course, like I mentioned before, is that destroying lands is a huge deal in modern. Not so much in standard, but, you know, getting rid of that, destroying that Urza's Tower uh, or, you know, whatever other lands you want to say. Huge deal. Also, the downside of the opponent getting the basic land card is much, much less in modern for multiple reasons. One, a lot of people don't play very many basic lands. And so you can really um, minimize this effect by combining it with other cards that have that effect. You can combine it with Field of Ruins, Path to Exiles. You can get your basic lands out of your opponent's deck. That's not too difficult. Uh, Ghost Quarter. Also, 
um, the games in modern are so much faster. So the extra layer that they get won't be as nece- like they're not going to be able to abuse that mana from that extra land for nearly as long because it's going to be a faster game. That's just how modern works. And then finally, the format for modern is so incredibly diverse and there's so many angles of attack that being able to destroy any permanent is so much more valuable. Being able to destroy artifacts, enchantments, lands, like I said, creatures, planeswalkers, it that versatility is much more important in modern than in standard where Vrass's Contempt can basically take care of everything in standard. So remind, remind me, in Value Town, do you run a Crucible of Worlds? Uh, yeah, I have two Ramanop. Ex- I've been mostly playing two Ramanop Excavators, the creature that's the Crucible of Worlds. Right. And so is there some world where you shift into Abzan and run the full contingent of Paths, Trophy, and Field of Ruin and just go to town? And Ghost and Quarter. Don't leave out Ghost Quarter. <laughs> sure. Sure. Just play them all. Um, oh. It's possible. Now... I think if you're playing Path to Exile and Assassin's Trophy, then you're not you can't be a collect company deck anymore. So basically collect company will have to go. But besides that, I think that you know you can still definitely play Knight of the Reliquary, Voice Resurgence for like some nice defense to help the game go longer. And then yeah, punish uh, mana bases with all of those cards. That's definitely could be a deck. It's gonna be something that I'll brew up on stream for sure to try out. Um yeah, that's that could be a thing. Does it does it also put Tarmogoyf back on the radar just because Assassin's Trophy targeting part of uh, the Urza's lands puts a land and an instant in the graveyard and you know makes makes Tarmogoyf bigger that much faster? Mm. Well, lands are, are were already really easy to get to the graveyard because of the fetch lands, right? And instance, you know, you play Lightning Bolt, it's turned on. Um, but it does it does help out Tarmogoyf just because it's you know, it's a green card and Tarmogoyf's a green card as well. And also, um, you know, the decks that Tarmogoyf would mostly struggle with uh, are like the big mana decks and it's very good against big mana decks. So yeah, it's it's going to help put Tarmogoyf back on the radar. Do you assume because Abrupt Decay can target a lot of threats as well and it can't be countered that we're going to see a mixture of Trophy and, and Abrupt Decay? Yep, absolutely. Not four ofs, right? No, well... Maybe I don't think Abrupt Decay is going to be a four of basically anymore at any point because Does, of Assassin's Trophy. Do you think Jund is running four trophy? I think it's possible to run four trophy. I I don't like Assassin's Trophy and Jund. I don't think the game plan of Jund and the game plan of Assassin's Trophy mix very well. And that's it's a, a critical thing that a lot of people haven't realized yet that I think they're going to be kind of sorely disappointed whenever they start putting Assassin's Trophy in their Jund decks. Is that because it works counter to Liliana's whole resource denial plan? Exactly, exactly. The whole goal of, of uh, Jund is to reduce the total number of resources in the game with cards like Discard Spells um, and Liliana the Veil. Um, so they're just trying to re- restrict the amount of resources. They do have Dark Confidant to be able to gain the resources back on their side, but they're really, especially the opponent's resources, really trying to restrict. But even the total number, because that's how Discard Spells work. But Assassin's Trophy is not like that. It's it doesn't trade one for one because, you know, you you destroy something, but then a land comes on the side. So it kind of trades one for zero if, if you think of just total resources. So it's it's the kind of card that you want to play in a deck that's trying to increase the amount of resources in the game. So that's why I like it more in a deck like even like Sultai, where you have card draw and uh, Planeswalkers, you want to go like a longer game. That's I think that's going to 
uh, take advantage of Assassin's Trophy more or a deck like um, like the Abzan deck we were just talking about, where you can combine it with other cards that are expanding resources like Path to Exile, Field of Ruin, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I really like it in those kind of style of decks more. So we'll we'll see with Jund, but um, I think people are going to be kind of disappointed of this card in Jund, and they're going to blame Assassin's Trophy and be like, oh man, this card's not nearly as good as I thought, when it's really just the strategy of the deck fighting against itself. Got it. So on the flip side, does this force a lot of decks in Modern to consider A, more basic lands, and potentially running a Crucible of Worlds in the main or the sideboard in some of the control shells? Um, definitely more basic lands, uh, for sure, because if, if you just don't have any basic lands whatsoever and you, you know, people just are casting assassin's trophy and just destroying a land like two mana instant speed sinkhole, that's going to be a pretty big problem. So definitely that. And then, uh, as far as the control decks running crucible worlds, I could definitely see that, um, the Azorius control decks are already, uh, mostly playing one copy of crucible worlds in the main deck that's kind of a pretty common thing these days was that just against field of ruin yeah that's that's uh against field of ruin or really just with field of ruin also as kind of like another win condition Uh, got it in like control mirrors and stuff um with field of ruin and with like their colonnades like whenever their opponents got rid of those to bring them back oh right because they're running four field of ruin like one or two ghost quarters in the full contingent of colonnade right it's just it's another way to just make Jace the Mind Sculptor even better, where you get to just put more lands back on top, even use your fetch lands to keep shuffling your library, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so Crucible Worlds is just a, a strong card. But yeah, I could see it um, having an uptick in the format with Assassin's Trophy. That's that's reasonable. So trophies at $24 and $100 for foils. Um, I don't want any any part of any of that. No, none. The only The only way I would buy that card is if I need to play it on week one. Yeah, I mean, I, is the only way I look, the way I'm looking at this card is I'm going to buy Russian boxes and then flip out of my the single copy I open at like thirty or thirty five dollars and get a discount on the box. I don't think it's going to go much on even, even though I don't really like it that much in standard. I don't think it's going to go basically under ten. I'm like I think it can go under fifteen. Um, so I think the the low on this card in the winner is going to be between ten and fifteen. That's so basically, once it starts going under 15, that's the time to pick them up. It's also got promo or a judge foil written all over all it for over some time. It, yeah. yeah, that's true. It it sure does. And, that, and that's one of the things that really hurt Abrupt Decay foils, actually, was that it got the WMCQ uh, foil promo, which really slowed things down. Yeah, so I would I would definitely be I definitely stay away from foils if you can, unless like you're the person that has the foil John deck that needs all foils. I would definitely want to stay away from foils. But for the regulars, that's where Unless you're playing with them right away, that's where I'm targeting between 10 to 15. Sounds good. All right, that wraps up our modern uh, look-see. Um, I think out of the cards we talked about, Tajik foils, Runaway Steamkin foils, and perhaps Legion Warboss foils were the most interesting, uh, most likely to see immediate play. Knight of Autumn is obviously going to see lots of play, but needs to come down in price for us to be excited. Does that sound about right, guys? Yep. Yep, that sounds about right. Um, I still like Experimental Frenzy. I don't, I don't know what the price is on that foil, but it can't be very much. No, it's got to be a few, like, less than $5 would be my guess. For now, yeah. until people hear this. 
<laughs> All right, so let's talk quickly about some commander cards that piqued my interest. Some of them we've already talked about. Gruesome Menagerie jumped out at me. Foil's currently at $5. This is the five mana sorcery that lets you get a three creatures back from your graveyard, a one casting cost, a two casting cost, and a three casting cost. Um, having played a lot of Living Death back in the day, <laughs> this strikes me as the kind of card that probably just out of the gate has 10 different ways to instant kill the table. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we'll only get more as time goes on. Uh, let's see. Yep. Uh, Viscera Seer would be the one. Uh, what's the two? Blood Artist? And what's the three we want? I mean, you can just get the, the combo from Modern of yeah. uh, Viscera Seer and then... Uh, Zero the... Remedies or something? Oh, I guess... Oh, I'm thinking about only gain infinite life. But yeah, I guess if you want to kill the kill that... Well, you need... So you need a way to bring back Kitchen Finks. Like Kitchen Finks is your three that you want. Okay, Kitchen Finks. So, yeah, you need Kitchen Finks, but you need you need like one of the two mana things that mean that you can't get the extra counter. The Zero of Remedies. Yeah, the Zero of Remedies, or um, there's the other one with like the Persist uh, trigger, the one from... Malira. Um, yeah, yeah Malira. Yeah, so you can have either of those. But that's only infinite life, I guess. That's not oh, infinite that's only, infinite only infinite life. life. Yeah. Yeah, so that one looks pretty nasty. I, I think the foils are going to get real low because that's not on, even on your radar for standard, right? Not really on my radar, but, you know, we'll see. That that could be a build around. Like, that, that's the kind of card that could be better when uh, we get Orzov in the next set. Sure. Okay. Um, Mausoleum Secrets, we already talked about uh, how that's almost certainly going to do with, do something, well, lots of things, really, in, in Commander. It certainly has restrictions, but there are tons of black decks i mean the number one deck in the format for ages now has been atraxa which is a black deck and there are plenty of things that atraxa might want to pull up um to play if she's uh in the counters based build that's more creature heavy than planeswalker heavy um mausoleum secrets foils at 18 i want them to come down but i'll definitely be going in chromatic lantern foils uh, a good reprint for edh foils are sitting at 20 those are going to get a lot lower is chromatic lantern even showing up in the standard decks that have been tested in your presence um yeah i played it in in a ramp deck um i think it does have like a little bit of room and standard in in uh big ramp decks uh kind of pairing with gilded lotus and stuff like that you can do some ridiculous stuff but i'm seeing so you said the foils are 20 i've seen it at star city games they're uh 12 in stock at 10 dollars each so yeah like okay. they're already Pretty yeah they're dropping down. hard yeah yeah okay so i mean 10 dollars i think I'm that's not, a pretty I'm, good pretty good buy because that's such a big player it's a decent price. It's a huge card in the format. Um, but if it's already at 10 on SEG, who tends to be towards the highest end of the retail market, I would guess we're going to see them in the 5 to $6 range, and you'll be able to get Russian foils at like 15 or 20 at some point here. Yeah, but definitely a card you're going to want to pick up this winter because it's such a big player in EDH. Yeah. So uh, Mnemonic Betrayal uh, at 18 caught my attention. Uh, let me just bring that card up. Yeah, I forgot that one too. Uh, that is the blue bat black card, right? <clears throat> Give me one second. This is the new black mythic, I believe. No, it's not a mythic. No, I think Never this mind. one's a rare. It has the exile the really... all cards from all opponents' graveyards. You may cast those cards this turn, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and may spend mana, although it were mana of any color, to cast those at the beginning of the next end step. If any of them are still exiled, return them to graveyards and then exile this card. One blue black sorcery. Yeah. So the funny thing here is this is basically mission briefing writ large, right? For a one more black, you get to exile all the cards from all opponents' graveyards and then cast all sorts of stuff. 
And the assumption here is that you're playing some kind of big mana deck in uh, probably Sultai yeah. colors. And that you're going to do all sorts of ridiculous things with like four people's graveyards. Yeah. Now, $18 foils, no way. Um, these are going to get down really low because I would guess this isn't even remotely on the radar for standard. No, it's, it's definitely not on the radar for standard at all. But um, yeah, so like, this is going to turn into bulk mythic. Yeah, so it is a mythic um, bulk mythic status, but the art is really cool. And I bet foil looks awesome. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That art's going to look amazing in foil. And I think it's going to be a slow burn for EDH. So wake me up when these are three or four dollar foils and then I'll <laughs> pick up 12 of them or something. All right. So next on the list is an obvious one. This one's for sure going to hit an EDH it, and According to Star City Games writers, maybe even in modern, Lazav the Multifarious. This is the uh, new Demir commander that allows uh, you to imitate creatures that are in your graveyard. Um, the first thing that it spiked was Phyrexian Dreadnought, the one mana 12-12. <laughs> <laughs> and I I'm almost immediately sold a full playset of them, so thank you very much for that, Lazav. Um just the open any card like this that is an open-ended commander that just gets better over time as it gets more and more options um is an obvious slam dunk foils are currently 30 that's way too high but unless this does something in standard or somebody pulls together a deck in modern which i don't see being very likely in the near term um i have a feeling we're gonna get a good chance at these in the ten dollar range for foils yep yeah it, it will see a little bit of play in standard but uh, yeah, I, I love this in Commander. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just so many things you're going to be able to do with it as time goes on. This is a 1-3 for blue and a black. When Lazav the Multifarious enters the battlefield, Surveil 1. So any kind of deck that can blink him in and out can consistently get Surveil effects. And then he becomes a copy. For X, he becomes a copy of target creature in your graveyard with convert a mana cost X. So you want cheap stuff in your graveyard. You think, is it worth turning this guy into a Death Shadow in Modern? um not likely not likely but um like yeah. do death Sh if death shadows decks could run eight copies would they is that even a goal hmm yeah i think yes they would they would but so i guess you have to have the death shadow in your graveyard and then the, that's kind of a problem because you you do want to um you know exile cards from your graveyard for gurmag angler and everything I, hmm maybe the it's something to try out instead of Gurmag Angler just playing four of these where you can just have eight Death Shadows. The, the problem is whenever, you know, you don't have Death Shadow in the graveyard, this card's yeah. going to be pretty bad. He's a 1-3 he's a surveil <laughs> and then yeah. they cast oh. card. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the big problem. I guess in Grixis Death Shadow, there's, there aren't actually enough. There isn't a preponderance of creatures in the graveyard to begin with. If no, you and played, like, if, making a Snapcaster isn't going to really do you anything. No. You don't want to turn your white, spend three mana to turn your one three into a two one. Haha. All right, so more of a commander card until proven otherwise. Divine Visitation, however, has commander written all over it. This is the five mana white enchantment that anytime you gain life, you make a four four angel. No, 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 sir. That is not what this card does. Oh, you are underselling this card badly. This is three white white enchantment. Whenever you would make a token. That token uh, comes right. to play as a Sarah Angel. 4-4 right, flying right. Vigilance. Vigilance on yeah. top of everything else. 
Yeah, there's plenty of token decks in Commander. <laughs> oh, man, it's so easy to make tokens in Commander and just all those tokens being 4-4s. This is insane. I mean, anybody who was playing Anointed Procession in Standard last year is probably a little sad they don't get to at least test this. Yeah, I could see this showing up as like a one-of in like the Selesnia decks with, you know, like March of the Multitudes where you can instant speed put <laughs> this in a 4-4 This is going to win my prize yeah. for the, the card people try the hardest to break in Standard and are just continuously sad that Night of Autumn keeps blowing it up. Yeah. <laughs> so $28 yeah, right. for foils, nah, that's not where you want to be. These it's gotta a, come way it's a mythic, down. right? Yeah, it's a mythic. Mm. Yeah. How, how low do you think it could drop, though, given the preponderance of token decks in Commander? Really low, because what we see re repeatedly in the fall standard, first six weeks of standard, is that standard and a little bit of modern will drive the prices of the key cards in the set. Everything else has to crash. Um, and that includes commander cards, which, and the thing about commander cards is they tend to take six to 12 months to take hold. A lot of people, pe a lot of people in the commander community reference like EDH rec and sites like that in terms of what they want to add to the new deck that they build. And it takes a while for the data to build up for them to even know that that, and for, you know, pot shows like command zone to start talking about cards and then for that to filter through the community. It's not like the competitive side of things where if Todd shows up with innovation to his deck on a Saturday morning, you can sell out a bunch of the card by Sunday afternoon. Um, Commander just moves so much more slowly. I think you're so wrong about this. Nobody is ever going... You're going to crack uh, a mythic foil of a token card, and almost everybody who opens one of these is going to have either someone trade it from them immediately in that draft pod, or they've got a deck that already wants it. I don't see this going below $20 as a foil. Oh, I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay, that okay, any day. okay. Let's let's talk the, about this. Well, this. Give me a time this, frame. This, when does this, this foil will this this foil will be under twelve by November first. <laughs> you are on wow. something else. Wow, Todd, will you witness this? That James is making a crazy statement. Okay, so <laughs> so James is saying under twelve by November first. Yeah, and that is that is that just the line? Because I mean, you were saying under twelve. I was saying twenty, but if he wants to lay down twelve, I will gladly take the extra eight dollars. What's I halfway get... between that? Sixteen. Sixteen. Um, so I'll take how about that. under sixteen. Oh, yeah, it's under sixteen by I feel, November. 1st. I feel very confident. Unless this shows up as a multi, like, more than a one of in the Celestia deck. If if it's a two or three of in the Celestia deck, no, 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 sir. No, no, no. You don't get to to, to yeah. lay down conditions like this. I, I'm not giving conditions. I'm just saying that's the only scenario I can see you winning this bet. <laughs> Otherwise, I've got you for sure. Yeah, yeah, this right. this is a this is so what popular. There's too many there's too many mythics in this set for this to for the foils. And there's to too high. many people who love who love token decks that doesn't show up on EDH rec. Mill decks and are not a thing on EDH rec, and those cards keep their prices. Token decks, yeah, yeah, especially keep, this one, but, it's so easy to build around. You're so wrong on this, buddy. And there's so, so little foil mythics that that come out. You have to buy so many boosters to get foil mythics. Specific I, I, like foil mythic. I, I like I like this bet very much. Keep in mind, boys, this is this is my bread and butter. The the EDH cards will spike right up at the front because some people just go, Oh, I want that for my deck. Then the rest of the EDH community drags their heels forever and waits till I've got all the copies, and then they go buy them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guarantee you this card is under sixteen in foil. What was it, November first? Yeah, That's, November first. Are, are we doing pie bets or money or what are we doing? Claude? I don't know what we're doing, but whatever it is, I'm going to win this. We'll have to talk about what we're going to do <laughs> later. So, we'll let's, let's just say pie, let's say pie bet for now that we'll settle Definitely. in Vegas. 
definitely whoever loses has to tweet out that the other is yes, the is the king of the world the most handsome yes best, i didn't best make him do ever. anything like that for deploy the gate watch and i'm sad that i didn't so we're gonna have to okay I'm, I'm I'm gonna tweet this as soon as the podcast is posted, and the bet will be publicly recorded. I like it when okay. it's not public already. All right, let's. Keep, <laughs> All right, let's keep going. moving on. We're almost done. Aurelia, exemplar of justice. We already talked about for standard. No way does that make any splash in modern. Um, in Commander, Boros decks are always bad. I don't think this fixes any of the problems for Boros at all, but it slots right in, and some people will run it. I don't like the foils at 25. It's going to get way lower than that. Same as Divine Visitation. Oh, no, the price on this card oh, is just going to be I'm driven through Standard, not not through Commander. Yeah. So if, if it takes... One of the weird things we see is that very they're comparatively too modern in EDH, way fewer Standard players will foil things out. But that hasn't stopped cards like, you know, Elspeth, Sun's Champion foils from being like close to $100 while they were in standard. So it's it's possible that if the Boros deck posts up consistent results and is a real presence for many months, that these foils could, in fact, grow. Possibly, right. sure. Uh, Doom Whisperer. Uh, if it's if it's good in standard, it's definitely good in EDH, where there's way more broken things to do with surveil. One of the things I think is interesting about surveil is the payoff for having stuff in your graveyard didn't seem to be super well established in the set the first few times I looked at it. In comparison, the number of crazy things you can do with your graveyard in EDH is just insane. I mean, just sliding Doom Whisper into the um, gaining popularity Maldrotha decks where Maldrotha wants tons of stuff in the permanence in the graveyard to bring back every turn, and Doom Whisperer can do that all you want, um, is very nice indeed. And Flying Trampling 6-6s six tend to be useful in that format when people don't have the right blockers in play. I think this is going to be even more annoying in the Marin decks that I already hate. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of decks in the black decks. Five or six different commanders I can think of that interplay with the graveyard that want Doom Whisperer and... I don't like the foils at 32, I think. Um, yeah, that's got some room to come what, down. But if, if Doom Whisperer has a lot of standard play, then the multiplier is still going to be around 2. And if yeah. it's you know 18 regular, then 30-odd foils sounds about right. I don't know if we're going to yeah. get a chance for it to so go I much think, lower. So I think if my play is long-term for Commander, I, I need to wait for the breathing uh, spot in standard. Like It needs to fall off the table for standard. Yeah. and the foils It's going to be around the time the next Ravnica set comes out. Maybe. Yeah, you may even have to wait till I mean, depending on you may have to wait till rotation or if, you know, just other yeah. things are printed. But I mean, you have to pay two life to surveil two in commander. That's nothing. Yeah, just no, actual it's nothing. nothing. I, I'm... Especially in, in any format where you start with more <laughs> more than 20 life, that just yeah. gets more busted. I'm yeah. wondering if uh, this ability is busted enough that they're going to look at banning it in commander. Like, maybe. Like, you get to just basically flip your deck and put it in your graveyard. You get to flip about half your what, deck, I mean. What What are the two black enchantments, Cliff, that create the infinite loop where you drain life from everybody? Oh, it's um, Exquisite Blood and Sanguine, and Sanguine Bond. Bond. Yeah. Right, so this interplay, this card's interplay with those two is just disgusting, right? Well, I mean, there's a lot of That's ways to every... set off the combo, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, because when you lose life, you're triggering those. There's all sorts of craziness. Um, so yeah, that, that card looks great. Knight of Autumn <laughs> feels like a you know multi-format staple if ever there was one. We already talked about the foils being $30. I want them way lower than that before I'm looking at them for the long term. So we'll see how that plays out. And then again, Assassin's Trophy is 
just one of the many good kill spells you have available to you. But the fact that it can ta target almost anything um, that doesn't have hexproof uh, is going to mean it's going to be a hallmark in that format forever. And the combination of the usage in modern and commander and standard means that I, I, I don't know where these foils will settle or how quickly. I hate them at 100. I'm not really interested until they're down in the 15 to 20 range. And it's <laughs> not clear it's going to get there from where it is right Are now. You mean 15 uh, foil? I'm sorry. <laughs> you mean this card in foil at 15 or 20? Abrupt Decay got there eventually. Yeah, but Abrupt Decay didn't have a 20 odd dollar price in standard. I think Abrupt Decay was pretty it close. It, it was did. like, yeah, it was like at least 10. I know Abrupt Decay foils were like 75 for the longest. If this was a mythic, like oh, no, no problem, way. it could no hold. Way. It could it could hold the hundred dollars. But as a rare, the fall set rares are just opened, like it, like ad infinitum. And this is the set. The feedback is good. Uh, the draft draft format looked good at worlds. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if it's as good as Dominaria, which I think everybody agrees was one of the best of all time. But looks strong. Standard seems like it's going to be strong. So a lot of this set's going to get opened. So, I don't know. We'll see where they land. It's, it's clearly the most important card of the set, but almost certainly not the easiest one to make money on. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a, a range to make money unless this drops a lot farther than it seems like it will. Uh, I got to do some more research on how far some of these early cards have fallen. But this one, I mean, even if it falls by half, I mean, we got to see how easy it is to play these. The only version of Assassin's Trophy I want is Foil Russian, because <laughs> that's all you want. Inevitably, anyway. in, inevitably, inevitably, some guy from the Ukraine is going to post some thirty dollars under what they're supposed to be, and you'll snap by that because they never get printed again. <laughs> like, <laughs> Russian is the language that never gets reprinted. So, okay, all right. So that pretty much covers our our uh, three big formats. Lots of exciting cards from this set. Um, if I had to sum it up, I think the cards we were most interested in from Standard, again, were Aurelia, Exemplar of Justi uh, Justice, Nullhide, Ferox, March of the Multitudes, and Tajik, Legion's Edge. Um, in Modern, we were thinking uh, Runaway Steamkin foils, Legion Warboss, and Tajik foils might all have some room to grow. In EDH, we like almost all the cards, but they all need to come down before we get too excited, right? Yep, and that's just how all EDH cards are, basically. Yeah, we got to get past the people who have to have it right now, and then we can start to look at what's a decent value. All right. So thanks very much for coming on the show again. Todd Stevens, as always, your insights are very much appreciated. One of the most thoughtful spikes out there on the Star City Games tour, uh, a dominant streamer. And uh, what's your new podcast called, Todd? Yeah, new podcast, Ponder Podcast, um, with myself, TJ Rogers, Melvin the Muppet. We uh, have some fun and kind of have a little bit more lighthearted podcast with uh, magic. You know, it's not too spiky and everything. So it's a, it's a good fun listen for everybody. So we have new episodes out every Thursday. So check us out um, at Ponder Podcast. All right. Thanks very much again. And we'll see you for the next Ravnica set come early winter. All right. Thanks for having me on again. Have a good one, Todd. And that's a wrap for this week, folks. Thanks again to Todd Stevens for joining us for our Guilds of Ravnica set review. Cliff, where can people find you online? You can always find me on Twitter at Word of Commander or my Friday articles on MTG Price. How about you, James? What's your Twitter again? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic. 
as well as via my weekly articles on mggprice.com, including my most recent pick for uh, picks for rotation uh, priorities this fall. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $4.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. That's it for this week. Uh, thank you all for being with us as we went down so many awesome rabbit holes and uh, can't wait to be back again for next time. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>